You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. The Panthers close out the season with a victory on the road against a division rival. Eddie P hit a 42-yard field goal as time expired. Panthers beat the Saints 10-7, finished with a 7-10 record, 4-2 in the division. But yet again, the season ends prematurely. We have a lot to get to tonight, and we got a crew with us. We always try to bring these guys back um, for the end of the season wrap-up. Edgar Salmango, you know him as Panthers analyst on Twitter. J.J. Hardy as Panthers culture. And Kevin Avery of the four-man rush. Gentlemen, I hope you all have had a great new year. Before we get into the head coaching search, because I know that's what everyone is talking about at this point, um, I guess I'm going to kind of put you guys on the spot a little bit here. Um, You got to give me your MVP of the season and your biggest disappointment. I'll start with MVP, um, and I'm going to go within a position group, and that's the offensive line, kind of stealing Kevin's thunder here a little bit. Um, But um, from last year, and we talked about it in our end of the season episode last year of how that was a, a major weakness for this team besides quarterback. And for them to turn around that unit and have them playing at the top, you know, top 10 in the league, really, um, a top offensive line in the league throughout the entire season, minus that last game, um, just it's remarkable what they've done um, in an off season. And those guys have really stepped up from Bozeman to Corbett. Uh, to Christensen, Icky's coming along. That guy's going to be a lockdown for us for years to come. So if I had to go with an MVP in this season, it would be the offensive line. And I went back and looked, and I will admit it, before this season, I had Baker Mayfield being the MVP of this team, and look where that got us. So, so a little disappointed there, but I will. let's go to JJ. Who, who do you got as your MVP? Man, this is tough. I was sitting here trying to figure out who I would say is the you know the most valuable player. I'm I'm still stuck between um two guys, and so for me, it's either Frankie Louvu or Derek Brown. And you know, and I make a point for Louvu. I think Louvu had a statistic where he's like the only guy with over 100 tackles and seven sacks or something like that. And, you know, he was just disruptive all year. He exceeded my expectations for what he could do as an off-ball backer. Um, I I envision him being more of an edge guy, you know, somebody who could replace Hassan Reddick um, on the edge. I didn't know what they were going to do there. I figured, figured they would be struggling um, on the edge. But um, he actually was good off-ball. He was good as a pass rusher. Um, he was good in coverage. From you know what I could see, I'm not a tape analyst, so I don't I don't know what his grades was like, but you know he made plays on the ball, um, just very tenacious. And and Derek Brown, I bring him up because 
I felt like he was the most consistent defender. I think he played every game. Um, you know, he was one of the top rated run stoppers at defensive tackle in the NFL. And um, and I just think that he really came with a point to prove. I think I told you all um, that I went to his camp this summer. I took his son to his camp down here in, in the Atlanta Metro. And I talked to him and I asked him, you know, like what would he like to say to the naysayers um, you know, that don't believe that he was worth the hype, you know, worth the pick back in 2020. And he just looked at me with the most stern look and said, they're going to see. And I wanted to see if he was going to back that up. And to me, he did. And so uh, so it's between those two guys. I don't want to pick one because I think they were both valuable. And there are other guys I can name, too. Uh, but those were the most consistent performers all year long for me. Kevin, what about you? MVP for this season. Um, well, like you said, since you stole my lineman um, from me, uh, I had to look at the man that probably had the most pressure to fill in an empty void. And I'm going to say Dante Foreman. You know, you trade away, you know, when we trade away Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, it was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? You know, because up until that time, I think in the five games, uh, Dante Foreman only had like seven carries up under Matt Rule, which itself should be, you know, a crime and an indictment. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at it. Um, two carries, two carries, one carry, two carry. Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, it was brutal. And the guy almost ended up with uh, a thousand yards this season on only 200 carries. So for me, you know, Dante Foreman was the spearhead behind the identity that uh, Coach Wilkes was looking for with this team. Uh, now, even though we did do running back by committee and uh, had great contributions from uh, Chuba Hubbard and as well as um, Rashawn Blackshear, but the uh, the main catalyst behind the uh, resurgent Panthers rushing attack was definitely uh, Dante Foreman. Um, you know, if anybody knows the story, you know, um, you know, lost his dad, you know, kind of bounced around. Um, even though he's in his fifth year, he really he really doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires. Um, you know, start off in Houston, then to Atlanta, then to Tennessee. Uh, he had a nice little stretch filling for Derrick Henry last year. So, you know, you look at his age and you think um, – you know, oh, well, he's he's almost past his prime when uh, his, you know, his warranty's still on. So for me, it was uh, definitely uh, Dante Foreman as, as my MVP uh, with that ground game and allowed the not only Panthers control the clock, but set attitude, uh, allow us to control time of possession, which helped our defense out. So that's the guy for me. Edgar, what about you, MVP? Well, I feel like I can't copy anybody's answer. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the special teams. I know uh, a lot of us grilled Eddie Pinheiro for, for his disastrous performance in Atlanta, but he stepped it up after that, you know. And so there's a lot of close games. There's a lot of points based on his leg. You know, there's times where the offense struggled. There's times the defense struggled. But uh, other than that Atlanta game, there was one thing that they could rely on every game, and that was Eddie Pinheiro. Um, and Johnny Hecker, the punter. I mean, part of the reason why the I feel like at some level the defense may be like, it started strong and may have been like a little bit overrated, 
But I think the reason why the defense like was put in a position to succeed is because the, the the other teams always had to go a long field. And so just by odds, just by statistics, like it's hard to convert so many first downs consecutively. We saw them, you know, against Tampa Bay and other teams where like they had to go down the field and score. But I think that they helped boost up the rest of the team. And there's, I think it's underrated because we've hated, there's been kickers that we've hated. There's been punters that we've hated. There's been a lot of special teams collapse. So like for us to not talk about special teams is actually a good thing. And so um, just to be different than the three of you, I'll go with them. Don't disagree with any of your guys' picks, but I'm going to move on here to biggest disappointments and I'll start. I would have to say Baker Mayfield. Uh, I had such high hopes for him coming in and for him to be out what happened about halfway, a little bit more than halfway through the season was I would have never, I would have never bet that at all. So I would say him. Um, and, and if we're going off of a guy who played the whole season, for me, it's got to be CJ Henderson. I had a lot, I thought he was going to have a pretty decent year and even a breakout year after his, uh, these last, you know, the last season with Carolina and then him kind of struggling in Jacksonville. And I just feel like he didn't really live up to the hype of what he was, you know, in training camp and in preseason because he was playing pretty well in preseason and in training camp, had a lot of pass breakups. And I didn't think he came. Um, to play way down the stretch and kind of struggled at times. JJ? I'm like you. I think Baker Mayfield was my biggest disappointment um, in that he just didn't play the way that I expected him to. I, I never thought Baker was a great quarterback, but, you know, I kind of have always been a fan of his and his game going back to Oklahoma. Um, saw him perform well back in 2020 at Cleveland, and I was just hoping that we would get that version of him. Um, I expected the offense to be catered to some of the good things he had done in Cleveland. Some of what we've seen him do out in L.A. Um, after he was claimed by them. Um, but, you know, he didn't give that to us. We started out one and four with him. And, you know, to me, as a starting quarterback, you know, you, you get all the praise, you know, so – I think, you know, he should take the blame, even if it wasn't all on him. I just think that, you know, he had to own that. And and because I was so excited about him coming, you know, he was a disappointment for me. Uh, but to go with a different guy um, who disappointed me, I would have to say Robbie Anderson. Um, and it's because Robbie has a, a very handsome contract. When I look at Baker Mayfield, we only gave Baker Mayfield like $3.8 million to play for Carolina this year. And that's probably one of the lowest salaries of any starting quarterback, you know, who's not on a rookie um, contract or what have you. And so Robbie, I want to say he was somewhere around, I don't know, 15 million, you know, um, in terms of his salary, I might be high. I can't remember what his negotiated deal is the stitching looked like, but, um, but I know he was up there. And so, for us not to get the production, you know, that I think a, a wide receiver two should give us, and then for him to have the episode that he had in Steve Wilson's first game, um, I was really disappointed, you know, that his time in Carolina ended the way that it did. Um, you know, that saw Steve Wilson have to make a decision to trade him away. And so, um, you know, I hope he does well. 
you know, in, in the, with the rest of his career, or whatever. But I was disappointed that he couldn't, you know, keep himself together and, and, and have a better performance in his third season with Carolina. Kevin, biggest disappointment on the roster this year. Yeah, well, for me, it was someone that I was really campaigning for being in his third year. Uh, that would be defensive end, your two gross models. Uh, with the departure of um, Hassan Reddick, the void was obviously there. It was like, who's going to fill in? Um, he obviously, uh, to me, had showed um, sparks of strong play in his first two years, uh, even though he had to battle a couple of injuries. Uh, so I really was coming in. I, I had said that he would probably get anywhere between six to eight sacks, um, really be someone that can set the tone um, against the run game. And for the first three quarters of the season, um, a lot of times his stat line looked like he was just out there doing cardio. Um, I mean, it was just really vacant. I mean, you'll see him have 50 snaps. It'll be like one tackle, one assist. You know, it's just like, dude, you know, and uh, yeah, really, uh, really, uh, really stuck my neck out for him. Now, I will say in the last four games, uh, I started seeing him uh, come around. He started set the tone um, against the run game, holding that gap integrity. Cause, you know, we used to get killed on off tackle runs. Uh, you know, I thought that was the biggest weakness of our defense was when teams ran at our, it, our ends, you know, Brian Burns, uh, gross models. Uh, but the last four games, he looked like it looked like the light finally started to click. Um, you know, he started getting um, hits on the quarterback. Uh, had a sack against Brady, but they called a BS penalty. Um, you know, started getting some tackles for losses. So, but overall, as far as like beginning of the year expectations, um, he's my biggest uh, disappointment. But hope that the uh, last four games, as he headed to year four, that the light has finally came on for him, but we'll see. Edgar? Uh, I've got two, um, and both guys that I love, so it's not like uh, it's it's anyone's fault, but uh, I'll say one's Jeremy Chin. I know he was injured, um, but I think about, you know, what JJ said about, like, where, where was the where was the expectation and hype for, right? So, like, I'm not going to grill somebody who we weren't expecting much, and Jeremy Chin was, you know, uh, got injured, was supposed to have this m- massive year, I think he made his 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 claim to fame in, in his rookie season was you know getting the ball like forced fumbles interceptions whatever and so we just didn't see that playmaking ability this year. I think part of it is how they used him, and so I don't want to f- fully blame him. And then I and I know JJ is going to hate me for this, but I I, I think he had the opportunities. And it's a disappointment because he had the opportunity and I want to see him shine. But Shy Smith um, had all the opportunity in the world to be a punt returner, to be the wide receiver three, wide receiver two. He made plays. He did. He did good. But like, I, I, I wanted him to like break out. I wanted to like be a star because he had the opportunity. And so disappointing in the sense that you know I, I thought he could be like a playmaker, a, a big time, big time role player, and it, it just it wasn't as good as it could have been this year. I'll give you a rebuttal to that. <laughs> Go ahead. <For> me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to hold it in, bro, because I get really, really like keyed up when people go at Shy. Um, I think when I look at Shy, you know, we look at all the players who was drafted 
in the sixth round of 2021, right? And so if you go with who we drafted, you know, after the fourth round, um, I think he's performed better than any of those guys on this roster. Um, like you said, he he was in the starting lineup to begin the year, um, and he had opportunities. But it just felt like, you know, the, the sentiment on Twitter was, like, really, really, like, leaning in on shot. I'm like, I felt kind of, like, responsible for that because I hyped him up so much, you know, not just me, but I'm like, why are y'all going after this guy like that? You know, like, he dropped the pass or, you know, like, when he got the ball ripped from him, you know, like, they should have called the uh, a stop before progress or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody came to his defense if he looked bad, but then if he scored a touchdown or made a big, you know, conversion catch, like, it's crickets. You know what I mean? And at the end of the, do- at the, end of the day, shy until later in the season, he, he was pretty much still in his rookie year, you know, in terms of games played. And so I thought considering that we weren't great at passing the ball in general, um, you know, that you know that he 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 earned this position, and I wish he had made more plays. Um, he started out sketchy, but I think he was pretty consistent. You know, down the stretch. You know, I remember somebody asked me, like, hasn't he fumbled? You know, on the on the punts a lot and whatever. I said, no, he hasn't fumbled the punts. I mean, he had that that muff punt against. Um, I guess it was uh, the Lions, I believe. But that wasn't his M.O. Now, he did some crazy stuff in trying to field punts. Like, I thought he was a maniac, you know, in some of the balls that he tried to field. And I had no explanation for why he would try to do that. But I, I think I told you all the last time we were on that um, I knew off the record, you know, that early in the season, the only way that Shaw was going to make the team is if he learned how to field punts. So that was, that was Ben McAdoo's challenge to Shaw Smith is if you want to make this roster as a wide receiver, you have to learn to field punts. And he was terrified. And I think that showed, you know, so I'm watching it through those lenses. Like, I'm scared to death every time the punt goes to him because, of like, he doesn't want to catch the ball. Like, not that he doesn't want to catch it. He's not comfortable doing it. And I think he wanted to prove that he could almost too bad, right? Um, but I do definitely think that for the position that he played, slot receiver, on a team that struggled to pass the ball. Um, I think he did a good job of getting open. Um, I think that he got over his early yips in terms of not being able to secure catches. I thought he came out with some pretty clutch catches late in the season. So I think, you know, it's kind of like a gross mottos thing. I think he started out slow, um, but as the season went on and, you know, I think, you know, he got more comfortable. I think he was pretty, you know, dependable as a, as a receiver. Uh, but again, he can get a lot better. I, I've seen a lot of people say that he's their biggest disappointment. I saw like the little Twitter responses of people saying, you know, the MVP, most improved, all this stuff. I've seen a couple of people say Shy was the biggest disappointment. I was like, how's a six round pick the biggest disappointment on this team? You know, but I get it. So I won't keep on going with it. It's personal for me. I'm totally biased. I'm going to be that way. Until this guy, I would be a Shot Smith fan if he was playing in the USFL. It doesn't even matter. You know, so um, I'm just glad that even if it's just for the season, I was able to see a dude from my hometown be in the NFL, man. So, you know, I, I'll take whatever criticism that came with the season, you know. Well, before we before we get 
Oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Real quick, uh, just back up what Edgar said about Jeremy Chin. Um, I had Twitter several times during the game. You're right. The way that they use him, like when they try to match him up on slot wide receivers, he gets toasted. That's let's call it for what it is. But when they like match him up, when they split out wide uh, tight ends and running backs, uh, Jared Chin, Jeremy Chin makes plays on the ball. So I think a lot of times when fans were calling for. Um, his head and coverage because uh, you know with uh with pff under the premium stats it'll go down and show exactly who he covers and when i went back uh pass rating against tight ends and running backs he's like down like in the 40s and 50s so he's you know he's pretty much providing good coverage but when it's against slot receivers it's like in the 90s and the 100s so it's almost like you know when teams go four or five wide you know if, if if it's not a tight end or running back out there, he, he I don't know if they need to drop him back as a single high or what, but he uh that seems to be where he struggles at. So I, I just and I know a lot of people will say, hey, put him back at linebacker at 210, 215. Uh, I think that's a little light in the butt, you know, especially you know with the trend, because a lot of teams in the NFL went back to um running more this year. I think he would um sustain more injuries like he did his rookie year because he was taking on a lot of blockers. But uh but to Edgar's point, yeah, I think that they just match him up better against personnel groupings. I think you'll see better coverage out of uh, Jeremy Chin than what we saw. But he he had nice several nice pass deflections and breaks on the balls this year, though. Yeah, I, I, I go back, and I hate to put these guys out here, but, you know, there were guys that were at camp, you know, the, at the thing I went to for their, you know, some defenders. And two of them were starters. And when I asked, you know, like about Jeremy Chen and where they liked him at, they told me that they prefer them up at the line of scrimmage as a linebacker rather than back at safety. Um, but at the time, Phil Snow was the defensive coordinator still. And and um, and so, you know, they were like, hey, look, you know, we don't make the, you know, we don't call the shots. You know, we just, you know, play the way that they, you know, the way that they, want us to play and, and where they want us to play, but we definitely know he can make more plays if he was closer to the ball than when they play him at safety. And, you know, when I got that from the players, I was like, hmm, you know, like, so what we see as fans isn't 100% off, you know, to Kevin's point, um, you know, those numbers are what they are, not, you know, and, and we've seen him make plays. He made a great break on the ball towards the sideline on Sunday. And um and, and I made sure I, I praised him for that because I had been critical. And, and to this point, you know, when he was getting beat, I I believe it was um Seattle. You know, I think they were running um good one at him and they were pretty much getting what they wanted when they wanted it. I'm glad they didn't keep doing it. Matter of fact, the the the, the touchdown that they had to DK Metcalf um was right over his head. And I was like, and they, I think we were in the zone then. But it was like he didn't get enough depth, you know, and I don't know what his responsibilities were. But it was like they were attacking him. I think Tom Brady went after him when he got the right matchup. It was like anytime a savvy quarterback saw that they had a good matchup on Jeremy Chin, they tried to exploit it. And to me, that became really scary because I was like, you know, like, when is he going to stop? You know, it was like we had to catch a lucky break to get off the field sometimes. But um, but. You know, when he, he he has all the ability in the world, I just think because he knows he's the last line of defense, I think he plays very cautiously. 
um, as a safety. Um, and when he was up near the line of scrimmage, although he is slight, you know, I, th I thought he was around 220. Um, but I, but he, he was always in the midst, you know, always near the ball. It seemed like he was on every tackle. And, you know, he was disruptive. Like one of Jeremy Chan's best plays was a play last year. I don't know what position he was playing. I guess it was a safety. But when he hit the tight end from Dallas, and it should have been a fumble. They called it like stop before progress or whatever. But that's the last time I think I've seen Jeremy Chan make a play where it was should have been a turnover. And I didn't see anything this year where where he forced a turnover. Maybe I missed it. He may have gotten an interception early. I can't remember. Um, he missed some games to the hamstring, but I don't I don't recall him forcing the fumble or anything like that. You know, so uh, so anyway, you know, I think he's a key piece to this Panthers defense. At least that's what the media saw from his rookie season. Now, he was in the running for defensive rookie of the year, at least in the conversation. And then, you know, we didn't get very much last year. And then now we're in year three where a young guy should be, like, taking off. And I think we're going to go into next year kind of wondering, like, is he the best option we have at safety? You know, can we get better in the draft? Can we, you know, can we get a better coverage safety? Than Jeremy Chan. So, um, so anyway, I I wouldn't call him a disappointment because, like I think you all mentioned, like I don't know what coaching, you know, how much responsibility coaching has with you know where he's playing and how he's performing. Um, but I I just think he's too good of an athlete, and it has too good of instincts near the line of scrimmage for us not to get any benefit from. It. All right, let's move on to. Uh, I got a question for you guys about some of the free agents on this roster real quick. We don't need a big explanation. Just give me two guys and I'll start. Um, and then we'll get into the coaching stuff. But two guys that you would re-sign this offseason. And they're pretty popular. Scott Fitter was asked about them yesterday. But I think Bradley Bo Bozeman is a no-brainer the impact he's had on the community and on the field is unmatchable at this point. I, if I feel like, and uh, the other guy you guys have mentioned before, and that's Deontay Foreman um, for him to come in and uh, you know, six games into the season and take over the starting job and, you know, take off and almost end the season with a thousand yards is just remarkable. Um and he's proven that he deserves a contract. And if he doesn't get it here, he's going to get it somewhere else. So I think those will be the two guys I would for sure re-sign this offseason. Edgar, I'll start with you. Uh, I agree on both. I'd also add, I think J.J. Jansen's a free agent. And Eddie, I know this is going to be a topic for discussion you know, later in the offseason, but Zane Gonzalez versus Eddie Pinheiro. But, I mean, he proved it. He was either first or second in accuracy. So, again, like I'd love to see the special teams – Excel like to continue. Kevin, what about you? Two guys that you would you take? You can still mention the same shit I did. I just, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> nah, I'll, I'll spice it up a little bit. Um, you know, because I know I got flamed a little bit, and then he kept proving me right. Though, um, I think one of the bigger free signs we need to do is Sam Franklin. You know, to go along with Edgar talking about special teams. I mean, we're talking about somebody that, what nine times out of ten, he was the first one down as a gunner. Um, you know, can fill in, you know, got some nice pops, you know, on defense. Um, you know, he's definitely a nice depth piece on defense. So uh, for me, uh, Sam Franklin uh, would be one. 
Um, Shit, I was going to say that'd be the first guy cut. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as far as the second guy, uh, like I say, uh, I'm, I'm a big J.J. Jansen fan. I had uh, made a post about him as well. You know, you say you can feel like he can go another four or five years. He's only had one bad snap. That was back in 2010 um, at the Giants. So, I mean, you can't get much more, <laughs> you know, uh, reliable than that. Uh, but just looking over the list here, um, uh, I would say, also say uh, Matt Iadonis, the uh, defensive tackle. Uh, he was someone that even though anyone that played intentional, a lot of times the stats doesn't show, but a lot of times he disrupted the blocking schemes a whole lot, you know, with pulling linemen and, and things of that nature that caused others to take advantage and get the tackles for losses and things of that nature. Uh, he's someone that I think that uh, – should be Derrick Brown's uh, running mate uh, again, because I know he's been having to uh, run with a different defensive tackle uh, his last couple of years. It was Daquan Jones. Um, then it was, uh, what's his name? We let go of, and he's with the Rams. Uh, I mean, the Chargers. Uh, Fox. Fox, Morgan Fox. Fox, Morgan Fox. Yeah, so it's like, um, I wouldn't mind sending him paired up to, uh, to uh, Mandy, uh, the defensive tackle position, so. Those will be my two, Sam Flanken and um, Matt Iadonis. JJ? Bozeman is number one. You know, just – and I think your first two was – you know, those were rock solid for me. I think those were the ones that I mentioned on Twitter when I saw the list the other day. Uh, so Bozeman and Foreman. Um, Kevin just brought up a good point about um, Iadonis. I believe that – you know, he like I saw a stat earlier today about, you know, win rate, you know, pass rush, pass rush win rate. And we didn't see Ionides get a bunch of sacks. But, you know, based on that metric, he was definitely getting into the backfield. He was winning on pass rush um, reps. And so um, and, and to his point as well. We saw Derrick Brown play his best football this season with Ionides as his defensive tackle mate. And so when you get a top guy like a top talent like Derrick Brown finally giving you some of what you've been wanting to see, then you have to think about all the things that you know that that are around him, and you want to make sure that he has that continuity going forward. So, um, so yeah, I mean the top two Bozeman and Foreman, but I do like the Ionitis uh, mentioned because I do think you know Derrick Brown would consider he would continue to excel and ascend because I think he took a lot of pressure off of Derrick Brown um, and probably for the first time in his career, you know, where he had a guy beside him winning. Daquan Jones was really good last year too, but to Kevin's point, we didn't keep him. And I saw that he was doing good things. I think he's in Buffalo now, right? Is he in Buffalo? Yeah, yeah, yeah Buffalo. He, he shows up a lot during their games. And um, and I, I remember watching him play this year and I was like, it would have been nice to keep him, you know, but – we didn't, so you know, so maybe we don't make that same mistake this year. No one mentioned Sam Darnold. No one wants him as the bridge. Huh? Okay. <laughs> hey, look, I, I'll though, take that. I'll take that. You know, and I'm gonna take this as like a as a uh, I don't know. I guess it's, I won't say apology, right? But I'm a I was a big Sam hater, right? Um, going back to his time before his his you know his time here at the Panthers. And so when people say, you know, resign Sam, I say that he is worth considering 
you know, as a free agent, just because if we are intent on bringing in a Ricky QB and potentially turning over the offense to that Ricky QB next season, then why wouldn't you want a guy like Sam, who the locker room is already comfortable with? Um, they know his style. They know his temperament. Um, and and allow him to be the bridge to that guy. We know that Sam is good for about a three or four or five game stint, right? And then the wheels might fall off. But if we have a rookie here that's developing and, you know, marinating, then, you know, when, when if Sam has that type of experience again, um, then it'll be time to turn it over to that rookie. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really comfortable with the version of Sam Donald that stepped onto the scene this season. Um, if, if all I need from him is Kevin, you're shaking your head. Here's the thing about uh, here's the thing about bearded Donald because see, I think at Tampa in the fourth <laughs> quarter we saw Sam Donald show back up uh, when was at Tampa. So here's the thing: through film study, you know, when you really watch it, a lot of the times, not not the takeaway that he didn't improve, but uh, the playbook was really reduced in order for Sam Donald to be as efficient as he was, uh, a lot of times, you know, he wasn't throwing anything beyond 10 yards. You know, he'll have the occasional pop shot, like, you know, when the Lions came in cover zero, and he had DJ Moore, you know, for 41 yards. And, you know, he's hit, you know, Terrence Marshall a couple of deep ones. But uh, a lot of times, you know, he's still not throwing throwing guys openness. And, and for me, it's just, you know, the playbook is just really – you know, constricted to the, you know, the short pass game so that he doesn't, you know, get in trouble. Now, if you want to roll with a limited playbook like that, then yeah, he would be your guy. Um, but just for me, uh, I just think that the play column really protected him. But I don't um, think, hold on, I don't think anyone's saying it. He He's our guy. I think, I think people are saying he could be a viable bridge to that, you know, the next rookie. But since we got a tight cap, since he's a restricted free agent, uh, I think you can get the same, if not more, out of P.J. Walker, you know, because here's the thing. For P.J. Walker as a restricted free agent, it's only going to cost us $2 million. You know what I'm saying? Sam Donald's not going to come back here for no $2 million. Um, and then also with that, you know, if you go back and watch some of his games, particularly the game at Atlanta, you know, he was slinging it all over the place. Like, it really wasn't no, um, you know, limitations or probably, you know, easily the best game in his career. And if it wasn't for that call on TJ Moore, it probably would have been the, the uh his biggest win as a as a starter, especially with the uh the game tying Hail Mary or whatever. Uh but I, I I'm just a fan of I just think that you can get the same out of PJ Walker at a cheaper rate than you can at Sam Donald um without limiting the playbook. And um and on a quick note, um he's not a free agent, but we need to sign him before he blow up again. Frankie Louvu, he's got one year left, but after the season that he had, his market value is shooting up. I was just looking at it. Um, we we need to treat him like he's a free agent this year because uh, even though the salary cap is very favorable, because Federer mentioned it um in his press yesterday in 2024 and 2025, I think we definitely need to try to lock Louvu down in a deal before he gets too costly. We get in a bidding war because he definitely uh. He definitely uh, has increased his market value tremendously. Edgar, real quick on Sam. Uh, I've been a big bearded Donald advocate, but whoever is the um, 
whoever is the person, the new coach, the new OC, like I'd love to have a bridge quarterback that fits or that knows the system. Let's all right. Let's get let's get to the coaching um, side of things because that's what we've. I feel like everyone has been waiting on and wants to talk about. And I want to start with Steve Wilkes. We'll get into the other candidates in a little bit, but let's just focus on Steve here for a moment. Took over the team at one and four. Lost CMC to a trade. Traded Robbie Anderson after his first game as coach, after Robbie threw a fit on the sideline. He fired or lost pretty much about, I would say, about half the staff. They went six and six with him, swept the Saints, went four and two in the division, like I mentioned before. Um, So I'll start with this, and let's start with Kevin on this one. Just on Steve Wilkes right now, should Wilkes get the full-time coaching job? Um, yes, unequivocally, without a, uh, without a doubt, I think he should get it. Um, I understand the process, you know, Rune and Rule got to interview another minority, which they did first with, um, Jim Caldwell, who I think would be a nice addition if, if Wilkes gets a job as offensive coordinator, I would love to see that dynamo, um, a Wilkes Caldwell, um, you know, um, coaching, um, set up here, but, I mean, Wilts just he he brought back the culture. Tells it like it is, but he helps you improve, and uh, he doesn't throw his players up under the bus. So, um, you know, he's never had a full chance. Uh, he's working with the leftovers from the rule regime as far as like, uh, you know, staffing and uh, certain players. Uh, as we know, he never got his chance out there in Arizona. He actually wanted Josh Allen. They said, nah, we're going to draft Josh Rosen. We know how that turned out. So um, I like to see Wilts just uh, get the keys and see what he can do. Edgar, what about you? Should Steve Wilkes get the full-time coaching job? Again, we're just focusing on him. We'll talk about the other candidates here shortly. Yeah. I say yes, but instead of Kevin saying without a doubt, I just have a, a like a minuscule doubt. I still want to know what his offensive plan is, coordinator, quarterback, whatever. Um, I know like on Twitter, I know with JJ throwing out possibilities for like who could be the guy, but it's the only thing that I'm missing from Steve Wilkes. Like he has everything else as a leader, as like a communicator, like Kevin said, like how to talk to people, how to hold people accountable. Like one thing that people don't realize, I mean, it's Twitter. So like, you know, it's hard for nuanced conversation, but I think of a head coach as like your boss, right? Like what kind of boss do you want to work? Like, I'm sure we have jobs, right? Like who do you want to work for? And I think Steve Wilkes is the type of leader that people like will, maximize their effort and, 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 and growth and development, right? Like the way that he talks, the way he puts people in position. You know, one thing I, I one thing that was very smart that I caught on from his presser uh, this week was he said like, hey, when I had to make a decision about quarterbacks, I talked to everybody in the room together and told them what I was saying. I didn't go to Sam by himself. I didn't go to PJ to himself. I didn't go to like Baker by himself. And I was like, huh, is that what used to happen before Steve Wilkes was there? I was like, hey, what am I gonna do a quarterback? Let me just talk to Baker by himself. Let me just talk to this, but like, I think in a, a system, again, uh, in a work culture, if you want to be a strong, great uh, program, a, a results-oriented program, like you have to have a leader that's great at communicating, holds people accountable, and like 
is inspiring to people, right? And he has that, like, he's elite in all those levels. But, like, you can't win consistently. You can't win a Super Bowl by just being elite. And, like, you have to have smart, strategic decisions. Um, another thing I was thinking on a, a longer rant here was, like, an exercise I, I thought about, you know, asking friends or whatever. It was, like, who's your favorite, whether it's current or past, like, favorite NFL head coach of all time, right? And I feel like that colors who people think is the best head coach for the Panthers. Uh, for me, I think of guys like Mike Tomlin, right? Like just this, 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 this monolith that's been successful, that's succeeded in this exact same manner, that's responsible, accountable, great communicator, and is, has longevity, right? Like I don't think Steve Wilkes would come to Carolina and say, like, "Oh, in two years, I'm going to find a better deal or be somewhere else." Like, and Jim Harbaugh would be a little bit different than that, right? And so I think as a leader, as a as an elite communicator, like Steve Wilkes should get the job. He'd earn the position. Uh, he definitely warrants the or got the attention and the praise from the media, from the players, from opposing teams, right? Um, but I think that as long as he has a sound plan for what he wants to do, I think that's the only missing piece. And obviously, he didn't pick Ben McAdoo. Um, he had to put a bare boat to, to, to add to Kevin's point. He didn't have a full coaching staff, right? Not only did he get, not have his guys, he didn't have a full staff, right? And so... How can you talk to a guy and say like, hey, you busted your butt, you did everything you can for this franchise, you warranted the respect of everybody, opponents, your teammates, and oh, we're gonna go with a different, we're gonna go in a different direction. Like this was his resume, this was his job application, this was his interview. Everything else is like just the minutes go part that I want to see him take to the next level. All right, before JJ jumps in, I'll I'll just go through mine real quick. Um, on Wilkes, kind of resonates and what you guys said as well. But I think Wilkes did an impressive job as the interim head coach. Uh, was it incredible? I think beating the Bucks and winning the division would have been incredible. Um, I think he deserves a real shot to get the job. It's just not a lot for me at this point. I know the players love him. I feel like he's created an identity in literally like a week. And Matt Rule always preached about an identity, and he never built one in two and a half years he was here. Um, he built a tough ground and pound style of offense that played off the play action. He navigated three quarterbacks. Edgar just kind of talked about this. He kept the messaging clear with everyone, never wavered on his approach. Win the day, that was always his big thing coming in, and it was consistent every single week. He doubled down on guys that failed likes of C.J. Henderson, Eddie Pinheiro. Pinheiro comes back after that Falcons game, didn't miss a kick uh, for many many games. I think the Lions game, he missed one, but he Eddie had a really outstanding game after, you know, Wilkes kind of stuck to his guns with him. Um, kind of the concerns I have um, is kind of what Edgar talked about, and I don't know if it's a concern, it's just an uncertainty for me, I think. And that's what is he going to do offensively? I think he has to hit a home run with the offensive coordinator, and he has to hit a home run with the most important position on the team, and that's quarterback. Obviously, we all can probably agree that Ben McAdoo isn't the answer. Um, so where does he go from here? Um, another knock for me, and this gets you know talked about a lot on Twitter, but I think it's something, uh, and I, I get the arguments and the defense towards him on this, but his conservative approach. A lot of people will bring up, well, it's the roster he had and the guys and the positions he's got, uh, putting these guys in. But um, when you're playing Tom Brady and Wilkes talked about it in his pregame pressers prior to the game that, you know, Tom Brady, he's going to he's going to always be in the game. Well, when you have a chance to step on the guy's neck in a game, you got to go do it. Um, 
he punted twice in that game. I thought that was pretty conservative. Um, you go back to the Los Angeles Rams game, his first game as coach, had about a minute left in uh, before the first half, two timeouts, didn't want to go down and try to put up a field goal. Um, in those type of games, when you're playing the defending Super Bowl champs, I don't care who's out there and you're a losing team in the way you are. There were one and four in a year. You got to take your shots. Um, so that concerns me a little bit. I feel like Wilkes kind of built on that a little bit. You you saw glimpses of him taking some shots and going for it on fourth down. Um, but th that is something, um, if I had any knock on him, again, I'm nitpicking here. And then the other one is, is the interim history uh, in the NFL. And I know um, looking at it, it's, it's not great. You know, guys have not succeeded after taking over as full-time head coach in this league. Um, the, the, the biggest name that comes to mind, and I tweeted this out, I think it was last week, Jeff Fisher was the, was the best coach who was stripped the interim tag when he took over the Houston Oilers. He ended up, he had a winning record over a hundred wins. I think it was took the team to a Super Bowl. Um, but when coaches are interim and they take that tag off and become the full-time head coach in the NFL history shows, they don't do so well, no matter how hot they are in that interim session. Um, so that's concerning to me a little bit. And I think Wilkes, it seems like Wilkes is kind of a different guy because you kind of look at that list and those, some of those names are like, oh, uh, I, I don't blame the history on that. But um, that's just something to consider. And um, my last one, and uh, I've seen the defense on this as well, is he didn't beat a winning team this year. Uh, he, play, he played Seattle. Um, or excuse me, he didn't play it. He didn't beat a team with a winning record. He ended up playing Seattle. Um, which was a really good win for them um, and ended up beating the Lions, which was a hot team. But overall, um, in some of those big games and, and, you know, Cincinnati comes to mind, Pittsburgh comes to mind, the inconsistency there um, just across the board as a team supposed to be ready in big moments. Um, Pittsburgh is probably the biggest one for me. Um, the team just wet the bed and they just didn't look ready to come out and play that week. And uh, I think that goes back to coaching. It also goes on the players as well. But when you're in those moments, you, you win that Pittsburgh game at home. I mean, we're looking maybe at a different season right now in a playoff in the playoffs. So um, just something to consider again, I think Steve Wilkes does deserve a chance and he, and we'll talk about a little bit, but he is on my list of coaches that I think should you know, sh should get a shot with this team. But um, that's kind of where I'm at with Steve Wilkes. JJ? So your question was, does Steve Wilkes deserve to be the head coach, right? Should, no. The question was, should Steve Wilkes get the full-time coaching job? Should he get the full-time coaching job? My gut just says yes, based on a lot of the things that Edgar mentioned. I think he checks all of the leadership boxes. Um, to Kevin's point, he brought back the keep pounding culture. Um, so I'll put it like this: I think he, I think he did enough to justify getting the job. Um, I do think there are other options out there, you know, that could potentially take this team 
to where we want to go. Um, but I think they're more risky than than what we've seen out of Steve Wilkes. Um, and I'll just say this, you know, about my reservations about Wilkes. And there, there, there aren't many and they're not really tangible. Um, I think he has all the intangibles, all the leadership qualities, all the things that make you want to run through a wall for him. As a matter of fact, anytime that I doubted him, I just turned on one of those Panthers videos or one, you know, post-game speech or something, or just watch a press conference through the week. And I'm like, okay, I doubted him, but now I'm back on board. You know, like it didn't take much for me to, to believe in him uh, because I think he's a very believable person. And I think he's authentic. I think that's been reverberated around the locker room from the guys that's been interviewed from Sam Donald to Shaq Thompson. Um, you know, all these guys say the same thing, you know, like he holds you accountable, right? And I think he's the same to everybody on the team. If you're Brian Burns, DJ Moore, uh, everybody gets the same treatment. And um, I think his moment for me was that first game. You know, he is conservative, but I think when he made that decision to trade Robbie Anderson, well, first of all, to get him off the field, big game, and then, you know, the next day to trade him away, I think that set the tone for the rest of the season uh, for this Panthers locker room. And I think for the young guys who might have been a little lackadaisical about, you know, where they fit and, you know, what this team was about, what this locker room was, what the culture is, I think it set the tone for them like this man is serious. And if we out here BSing and clowning around and not being serious, we can find ourselves off this team like Robbie found himself off the team for a bag of chips, you know. And so um, so I believe in Steve Wilkes. I believe in him. Um, but there are other guys that I believe in too, right? So it's not like it's a, a 100% like he is automatically the best coach for the job. I think he would be a great hire for the Panthers. Um but I also think there are other guys who could be great hires for the Panthers. I think where, well, I won't even get into the other guys or any other other names, but I would be very happy. And, and if you release a sound bite, Curtis, I need to, it needs to be this one. I would be very happy if Steve Wilkes is the head coach for the Carolina Panthers going forward. Mic drop. Well, let's talk about the guys. Let's talk about the guys now that are have been interviewed and are you know coming up in these next couple of weeks here so so far the panthers have interviewed steve wilkes and guys i did not know this uh i kind of feel stupid for not knowing this but former wake football coach uh i, I live in winston so i should have known this jim caldwell um and then they also asked to interview lions offensive coordinator ben johnson bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, I don't know if you sense a trend here. Giants offensive coordinator Mike Kafka and Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. And then they also, according to Joe Person, have reached out to former Colts coach and former Panthers quarterback Frank Reich. And, you know, Frank, I don't think there has been an interview confirmed yet, it seems like, but those are the guys – um, that are in the mix. You know, Scott Fitter talked about this week. The list won't be long. I feel like this list is starting to grow a little bit more. Uh, I thought maybe four or five, and we're already at, what, six, if I counted that right? Yeah, six guys so far. So 
Um, guys, I just want to get your wish list if Steve Wilkes isn't the guy or, or if he's in that list, where do you rank him? Um, and you can include guys that they have set up or want to talk to or guys that are outside of that. But just kind of give me your top four candidates, rank them. Uh, and w- I guess I'll start um, to give you guys a little bit of time here. But um, I tweeted this out a couple. I think it was either Sunday or Monday of this past or this week. Jim Harbaugh is my number one. Um, I feel like he has won. And I talked about this last week on our episode. I feel like he's won at every level. Um, you know, he took over a San Francisco team and, you know, had, you know, made the decision to switch from Colin Kaepernick uh, or from Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick brought the San Francisco 49ers to a back to back. Uh, uh, NFC championships game taught, brought them to a Super Bowl, ended up losing to his brother. Um, and then he went to Michigan and brought them to back to back college football playoffs. Didn't win in those, but brought them there. I think, um, he would be a great, you know, leader for this team, X and O's and leadership in the locker room. Um, I just don't know, and we've seen the reports, but I don't know if. You know, David Tepper is willing to give it all up again like he did with Matt Rule. Uh, I think he's learned from that, and I don't know if he's willing to go that far. Next, I would put Steve Wilkes. I think, uh, you know, you know what your guys' sentiment on him was and mine as well. I think he's done enough to get the job. Um, great locker room guy. You know, he's brought keep pounding back. Um, and really made the most of this roster and the coaching staff that wasn't picked by him um, and, and made the most of it. Um, next would be D'Amico Ryans. It looks like David Tepper is picking uh, all offensive guys and probably no one on defense. So we'll see if that changes here. I know there was a report out there that, you know, this team likes D'Amico Ryans, but that remains to be seen as far as interviews go, but that would be the next guy on my, on my list. Any guy from the, the Shanahan coaching tree seems to do well in coaching. And, you know, he has been dominant on that side of the ball for the San Francisco 49ers defensively and has year over year created, you know, a top 10 defense uh, in the NFL. And then my last, the last guy is Shane Steichen, what he has done in, uh, the last two seasons as offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles cannot be, you know, glossed over and how well he has Jalen Hurts playing, you know, really an MVP type season for for Jalen. And I think Steichen, for how bad this team has been offensively over these last four years, I think um, he needs to be mentioned. And then I kind of put on this sl- a, a slash here was Ben Johnson. And he's going to be one to watch. And I'm going to put this out there now. He could be the sleeper to get this job. Um, My brief conversation I had with David Tepper before that Lions game was shocking to me. I didn't think he was going to give me anything. Uh, I I asked David Tepper the same question before the Atlanta Falcons game. And he, he answered me with a question and asked who I liked. And then just kind of blew me off after that. And I told him Shane Steichen. He's like, yeah, there's a lot of good offensive coordinators out there. Um, but then it, during the Lions game, when he when he mentioned, you know, the other side, other 
the guy on the other side of the field, I thought it was very interesting. I also thought it was weird that he didn't mention Steve Wilkes because he could have. He could have been like, yeah, you know, the guy on our sidelines doing a pretty damn good job. He didn't say his name, which I thought was a little telling myself. So I don't know. And again, this is just my perspective from what I've seen. I don't know if Tepper is as high on Wilkes as everyone else is. So just keep that in mind as we move forward here. Uh, and Ben, you know, Ben Johnson is one to watch. I don't know if you saw that Packer game this weekend, but he had some pretty damn good play calls in that game. You know, the hook and ladder comes to mind at the end with the game on the line when they needed it to happen. So, uh, but I am talking way too damn long. So I'm going to go on. I'll go to Edgar. Give me your wish list of coaches. I go with Steve Wilkes, that you guys know. Uh, I know JJ and I go back back and forth on this, but I, I don't have any hate for Jim Harbaugh or Sean Payton. I think they'll be successful. Like if they were in here in Carolina, they're winning, and then, that's not a problem for me. I, for me, it's style. For me, it's it, and part of it is also just because I've seen the difference between that that type of motivation, that type of organization and leadership versus someone like Steve Wilkes. If I already have Steve Wilkes and I know how he's like, then like I don't need to go like. It's like it's like you're married already. You already found like a, a, a very great wife or spouse. Like, why am I going to reach out and risk potentially uh, a, a, a relationship, right? And so that's how I kind of see it. Um, but I would say like, if I if, if it was if you're telling me like here's millions of dollars, if I if I'm Nicole Tepper and you're telling me like, hey, invest this and be wise, like I would put it into Jim Harbaugh, I put it in Sean Payton, and like I would just sit back and relax as I know like it's going to be successful, right? Um, but at the end of the day, and I never said this with Steve Wilkes, and I know you mentioned it a little bit, Chris, at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter who we want or who we like. They're going to do what they want with no, it's not to be data informed. They don't have to, they don't have to like convince us. They don't have to like tell, like, they don't have to you know, answer to us. It's just whoever they like and who they want to work with and who, who, uh, I know JJ in the past has like given his critiques about Scott Fitterer, right? I think part of it's going to be like, who's part of these are people that are like, for lack of a better word, are like people that are not going to want personnel. They, they, they're kind of soft. They're just kind of just, they're yes men for lack of a better word in terms of personnel. And so uh, I think they're kind of picking someone that will like be easygoing with their with their approach, not like maybe potentially Steve Wilkes who could rock the boat, right? Um, but if I had to, you know, if between the young offensive coordinators, which I think that's the direction that they're going, um, I would put like, you know, Ben Johnson and, and, and Mike Kafka kind of in the same category. Because like JJ, I really put an extra gold star for people who can make a, a pizza out of like crap ingredients, right? And so the thing that Ben Johnson is doing with Jared Goff, with a very shaky offensive line, with you know, with like some 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 no name players, right, have been like tops in the league in offense, and they were like near the last in the league last year, right? So that jump is crazy. Um, Mike Kafka, I know, like we haven't talked about him a lot, but like he worked with Patrick Mahomes, but with the Giants, I mean, no one expecting like this offensive juggernaut of the Giants, but between Daniel Jones, I know everybody likes Saquon Barkley, but between Daniel Jones and like these wide receivers who are not highly decorated at all, like I think he's made, uh, uh, he's made a, a really good impression on me. They're not my first choice. I have no idea how they're like in the locker room, how they're leaders. Uh, and another thing I forgot to mention, that's like a, a, a want of mine. Another thing that we have to consider is like, who is this roster? What is the makeup of this roster? And the reason why I think Steve Wilkes works and Kevin and JJ mentioned this, and, and the reason why the keep pounding culture resonates well is because these are young guys, right? How old is Brian Burns? How old is Shai Smith? Jeremy Chin? Um, these are young guys, right? And so when you get this old, uh, uh, a veteran, an experienced guy who's like, I've been here, I've went through this. As a young person, you're easily like 
inspired and motivated and molded because someone can talk about like I was in those, you know, I was in these these games, I was in this franchise, this is what we did. But if you're a 32, 33, 36, 37 year old young guy, um, you know, that's like really a whiz kid at, 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 at chess and math and science, like you still have to get the best out of the whole team, not just your offense. And so that's my only reservation. I have no idea. I've never been in the locker room with these guys. So I can't really judge these Ben Johnson, Shane Steichen, um, Mike, I, I don't know what they're like, um, but I do know like from their offenses, I like what they've produced. But that's like just again a, a piece of what we want from a head coach. So it's not really an order, but like I like Steve Wilkes. I like people who I know are proven winners. And then like if I have to choose because they have a type, they have a they have a, a person that they really that, that they're really attracted to, then at least give me the guys who have done the best with the worst amount of you know with the with the least um, you know fanfare roster the, the the personnel that's not the most you know glamorous. I want those guys. All right, Kevin, who do you got? Wish list. Um, well, obviously for me, number one is Steve Wilkes. And if I could just borrow about 20 seconds here, uh, the fat check a couple of things. Um, he coached 12 games. You just mentioned the fact that uh, he didn't win against winning teams. Well, out of those 12 games, we only faced three winning teams, Seattle, Cincinnati, and Baltimore at the time. So it was one and two. So you got nine losing teams. The odds of beating a lot of winning teams. Eh, kind of slim, you know, because even um, so, you know, that's just a uh, throw that out there. But um, as far as me, um, like I said, reason also with Wilkes, uh, Tepper got burnt by Rule, giving them control. Um, and any other NFL coach is probably going to want something similar as far as at least, I would say, salary, if not, you know, some say in the control, uh, control thing. And I just think with Wilkes, I just think that he has an established relationship with Federer uh, this year to where this year's show, but I'm going to offer my input. But, you know, obviously um, it's not going to be the final say like it was before. Um, I just think that it's a lot more fluid transition as far as power, balance, uh, things like that with um, uh, with Wilkes um, here. And I, I just think that um, – you know, it's, it's so much more than just the X's and O's. I know everybody's got this thing about, oh, got to have an offense coordinator. Um, if you guys remember, last year with the Raiders, they had an interim coach took over. Actually took him to the wild card round. They lost to Cincinnati. And they got rid of him. They brought in someone with a offensive coordinator resume, Josh McDaniels, six Super Bowls, Patriots just got third. And they had a much more, they had a much more talented roster and look how they flamed out. So you got to be careful about um, going for the shiny thing versus the steady thing. You know, may not be that Lamborghini, but that, to that Toyota camera gets you where you need to go. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's just my thing with uh, Steve Wills. But just to say my other coaches out the blue, um, I'm going to go with someone that's not mentioned that uh, I saw an article that, um, Curtis, you brought up uh, about DeMarco Ryan's. Um, I definitely think that anyone from the uh, Mike Shanahan tree, I think, would be a, a good fit here. Him being a former player, um, like I said, he took over for Robert Sala. Uh, he dealt with injuries on that defense, and the 49ers kept uh, plugging away. Um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, with him being 38, I just think that, you know, if we were not to go with Wilts, he would be someone that I felt that could – bring a lot of similarities that Wilts 
uh, pass, but in, and I would think that, um, you know, he would probably bring over someone offensively that would uh, can mimic because even though Mike Shanahan's revered as a great, you know, offensive play caller, he does a lot of defensive play calling type offense, you know, strong 49ers got strong running game. They use a lot of heavy personnel. You know, you're not really seeing the 49ers in four or five wide, you know, slinging it like you see with others. They're straight up old school, line up, punch you in the mouth. Uh, but, you know, Shanahan just does it in um, a lot of uh, formations and uh, variations, uh, which keeps you off balance. Uh, as far as the other last two candidates, I would say, um, I would say Ken Dorsey. Um, and I would also say uh, Frank uh, Frank Wright. Those would be my those would be my four uh, choices for the Panthers. All right, JJ, fire away. So we've already talked about Steve Wilkes, so I won't go into him here. Um, I wouldn't be real if I didn't say Jim Harbaugh wasn't my number one. Uh, when I saw the rumor that he was interested in Carolina, and I think that's been confirmed, um, that he reached out several times to, to, to Mr. Tepper until they finally talked, and that everybody you know that's close to him and close to the situation has seemingly confirmed that Carolina is, you know, is is his most desired location, whether that's true or not, um, because I understand and somebody reached out to me in my DMs that I won't share who they are, but they said that, you know, Jim is playing games um, and using Carolina for leverage for another position, right? But, But if I'm taking what we heard at face value, that he wants to come to Carolina, um, then there's no head coach candidate with a better resume than Jim Harbaugh. I just want to make that clear. This man took over the San Francisco 49ers in 2011 and took a bust in Alex Smith from being considered a bust to leading that team to the NFC championship in year one, right? In year two, Alex Smith was was leading the NFL in completion percentage and efficiency, and then he was concussed, and Jim Harbaugh replaced him with Colin Kaepernick, and the rest was history. You know, the Colin Kaepernick phenomenon in in San Francisco, he leads that team to another NFC championship, wins it this time, goes to the Super Bowl, right? Comes within five yards of winning the Super Bowl. In year three, he puts together another winning team. They come to Carolina. Carolina had the home field advantage that year, had a bye in 2013. He came, I was at the game, <laughs> and he came into Charlotte in a very tough game. Carolina had won earlier that year, and he beat Carolina in Carolina. And, and I think that Carolina team was as good as the 2015 team in terms of talent and balance, right? Um, and they went on to, to the third consecutive NFC championship. Jim Harbaugh's worst season was 2014, and they went eight and eight. He's never had a losing record at the NFL level. His college record speaks for itself. Um, and he hasn't won the big game. You know, I think that's the biggest knock on him in terms of his resume. Um, 
His persona is a different story because there's all kind of um, negative sentiments out there regarding Jim, the persona, Jim Harbaugh, the persona. And nobody knows what it's like working with Jim Harbaugh besides the people who's actually been in those rooms with him. But there's a lot of rumors about how he is and his antics and so on and so forth. And he's currently under, I guess, investigation by the NCAA uh, for, I guess, buying someone a meal during the COVID situation, right? You know, so there's always some type of hatred towards Jim and how he is. Um, but Jim comes from a football family. Dad was a coach. You know, his brother, John, is a coach, a, a very successful coach. Those guys know football. And it's crazy to me that Carolina Panthers fans would be resistant to this guy because of how they perceive him from the outside, right? Um, but regardless, I think he's the number one candidate if he wants to coach. But everybody here mentioned something that I think is the true problem with Jim Harbaugh becoming the coach of the Carolina Panthers and why they weren't interested in a coach that has a very good resume who wants to coach here. And it's because of the situation you brought up earlier, um, Edward. Edgar, I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Edgar. It was the this Carolina Panthers front office ownership and GM, I think they're scared of a big personality. I think they're scared of somebody who wants control. Um, that was part of Jim's deal in, in San Francisco. And it's unfortunate that that they gave that control to someone who didn't deserve it, right? And and was burnt by it to where now, I think if they gave that type of control to the right candidate, they would see what I think they've been seeking for a long time and that's sustained success, right? Consecutive winning seasons, something that we've never experienced. Um, and I think for me personally, as a fan of the Carolina Panthers, I want to be the type of team that's respected year over year. And I think Jim Harbaugh's resume alone suggests that he's the only candidate that you can look at his resume and, and, and bet on who might get us sustained winning compared to the other candidates that are available. So that's Jim Harbaugh. I'm off of it, right? That's my guy. Um, that's the only guy that I would clearly take ahead of Steve Wilkes if I had to choose between the two. Um, but skipping Steve Wilkes, the only other guy that I would be comfortable with without any reservations is Frank Wright. And that probably isn't the sexy head coach choice, but we know Frank Wright, you know, going back to his time as an NFL player, um, you know, he's a you know perennial backup, but he had, um, I think he was at the Carolina Panthers' first legit quarterback, right? Um, but more so than that, Frank Wright is a good human being, right? <laughs> I think in that way, he's a lot like Steve Wilkes. Um, I watched Hard Knocks, I believe, last season when Indy was featured, right? Wasn't it last season when they were on? Um, and I saw Frank Wright, the man, you know, glimpses of him, and I'm like, like, that's a legit dude, man. Like, I would like you know, a culture built by a guy like that, you know? And so um, I think Frank Wright in some ways suffered some of the same fate that Matt Rule did just in a different, you know, environment. 
I think he was put in a position to trust some older QBs. You no, know, and and really it's unfortunate for him because he walked into a situation with a a, a burgeoning legend in Andy Luck, who walked away from the game, you know, before anybody knew he would. And so then I think he had to kind of scramble to try to figure out how to take this team that was supposed to win with Andy Luck, that we built offensive line, weapons, running back, defense, you know, a team that's possible to win. But now we have to figure out how to put somebody here who can win now for this owner and this GM who are, what, eccentric? What's the right word for that? Um, so Frank Wright tried to do it with Phillip Rivers. He tried to do it with Carson Wentz. And this year it was Matt Ryan. And and I almost feel like he was set up a bit, um, to tell you the truth. And, you know, he got fired. And I'm like, man, you know, you know, sometimes you crack a joke or whatever. Then when you sit back, you know, and take a step back from it. After I saw the GM interview with Ballard, um, you know, with the owner, Ursay, after they hired Saturday, I was like, those dudes are clowns. Frank Wright is a good dude. And the reason that it's Jim Harbaugh, Steve Wilkes, Frank Wright for me is because of what we've seen out of Wilkes in this young roster. My concern for the Carolina Panthers right now is that this offseason is so pivotal in terms of where we go from here. We brought in a guy who is from Charlotte, grew up in the keep pounding culture himself, saw us have success here. He was able to, to show these young guys what that meant, and they, and they listened to it, right? That's why we so high on Steve Wilkes, because he proved that that's effective with this young roster that we have. I'm afraid that if Dave Tepper goes a different direction than Steve Wilkes, that the person that he picks won't have the leadership qualities to be able to gather that same group of young men up and say, hey, look, I know you lost the guy that you really love, right? And that you believed in. But here's who I am as a person. I care about you the way that he did. I care about your development, your growth. I care about winning. I care about this place, Carolina, the way that he did. Frank Wright, in that way, has more legitimacy than even Jim Harbaugh. And I think Jim Harbaugh has some time here, whatever, you know, minor it was. But but I think Frank Wright, I think North Carolina, I think he has family here. I think this, who we are as people, um, Carolinians, I think it means a little bit more to Frank Wright than it does, you know, any hotshot OC that they might be interested in. Beyond Harbaugh, and Frank Wright, if it's any of the young coordinators, I think it should be the, the guy, Shane Steichen, out of out of Philly. Um, I've been going back and trying to study him after I saw Albright's tweet a few days ago suggesting that that Carolina was really high on him. And I look back, you know, at his time in San Diego. Um, and then, you know, I guess that turned into L.A., and then now in Philly, I looked at the fact he was there for Justin Herbert's rookie year. And everybody knows what Justin Herbert did his rookie year. Um, we see what he's doing this year with Jalen Hurts. And nobody expected Jalen Hurts to be this version of Jalen Hurts this fast or at all. And so to me, you know, we, let's go back to Justin Herbert. 
and I'm going to get off of this because I know I like to ramble, but, you know, Herbert, there were a lot of questions about who Justin Herbert was. I think Justin Herbert is the, is the, is the, the quarterback prospect that I would say the most amount of Twitter GMs missed on, right? And Steichen took that guy and got him ready quicker than anybody expected for him to have real success early on. Um, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is night and day from last year to this year. And I think that's Steichen. If we want this Carolina Panthers team to draft a young QB, and it may not be one of the top two guys, you know, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. If it's not one of those guys and it ends up being a, a Richardson or Levis, if you want somebody to make a miracle out of somebody who really may not be ready day one, then I think Steichen is your guy. Um, because I think he'll get more out of raw talent than the average OC will. He would create something that's going to accentuate, you know, the 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 traits, the strengths of of one of those raw talent guys and get something out of them earlier than what I think most people would expect them to be ready to to show. And um, so for me, it's Harbaugh, Wilkes, Wright, Steichen. And that's my list. I don't even care about any of the other candidates, to tell you the truth. I think there's some solid ones. I think Ben Johnson's solid. I think Ken Dorsey would be solid. Um, my favorite early in the year, just to own it, you know, was was LaFleur out of New York. Um, I think his performances and the luck they had at quarterback has made him fade from relevancy. But I think he runs a great offense if he had the right person to be the quarterback. But right now, I think Harbaugh would be clear, but he's not in the running for the current list. Um, it would have to be Frank Reich and Steichen, and I'm and I'm fine with either one of those gentlemen. I want to go back to Wilkes a little bit here, and Kevin, you kind of talked about this a little bit with Jim Caldwell, but if Wilkes is the guy. Who would you like to see him bring in as OC? Um, I think Caldwell is a good option, um, just with his, you know, his history with quarterbacks um, and his offensive mind. But I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are um, on, you know, the who Wilkes has heading this offensive team because that is going to be. I think a key part into bringing him back as well. And I think it was Breer. I thought someone Breer, or maybe it was Fowler from ESPN. I think tweeted this morning or last night that Bill Wilkes has a strong plan going into his interview that happened today. So I'm just curious. Um, and Edgar, maybe I'll start with you. Um, any guys that come to mind that have ties to Wilkes that you'd like to see coaching this team offensively? The NFL playoff picture is locked in, and my go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to the Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this week. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, You'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good. Why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? This week, 
with Bryson out of the mix. I'm going to keep with his trend right now. NFL DraftKings Sportsbook has the Chargers favored by two in the matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I am going to take the Jaguars to cover that. You know, the Chargers are down. They had a lot of key injuries in the Week 18 contest that really didn't matter, losing, you know, Joey Bosa, Mike Williams, Kenneth Murray Jr. to injury. So I'm going to take the Jaguars to cover in this wildcard game this weekend. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code TPPN. I know it gets a lot of heat. I know JJ and I talked about it, but Byron Leftwich has been tied to to Steve Wilkes, and I feel like he's unfairly been tied to the to the demise of the Buccaneers' offense. Even though we know Tom Brady has more of his fingerprints on it than than Leftwich, um, I threw it out there today. You know, I know it's I don't know how credible it is or how possible it is, but. Um, the Georgia offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, he was offensive coordinator in Cleveland when Steve Wilkes was defensive coordinator in Cleveland. And so he's been successful. I know there's people on, on Twitter saying, man, he sucked when he was in Cleveland. He sucked when he was in Tampa Bay, but he wasn't the play caller. And the one year he was the play caller in Tampa Bay, they were, you know, they were a top uh, unit in offense, right? And so I think that's one of the few that I could think of that has a history of success in the NFL. And then, you know, there are guys that are, that are, Candidates for head coaching. So is Jim Caldwell an option? Is Frank Reich an option? But um, that's the best I could do. I know people were throwing out Brian Johnson from the Eagles, but I don't know what connection there is. Um, but I will say this one thing we forgot to talk about in the whole coaching thing is that um, people say like, oh, we need a hot shot offensive coach, you know? But like some of the some of the best teams are run by defensive coaches that have that are smart enough to pick an offensive coordinator and to step away, right? And so I think that's a possibility. I know JJ talked about it before. Like the, the reason why that 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 way doesn't necessarily work out is because they'll eventually be hired as a head coach, so you have to restart your system. And so I get that. Um, but I will say that you know, in, in places like say say Sean McDermott, I mean, it's it's unique because of who your quarterback is. Um, but I think it, you you can be a defensive person and be successful if you know how to like give it to somebody and 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 then step away, right? And so. Um, I wish I knew what's a fly on the wall today at Steve Wilkes' interview to find out what his plan was and who he decided. Um, but that, those are the names that I, I, I came up with. Yeah, and to be fair, because I, I get it, and I and I agree with you guys in a sense too on um, the hype of the offensive guru type guy, but you got to remember, we're a fan base that has never had an offensive-minded coach hired. I mean, this team has consistently been defensive-minded over and over and over again. And we have not gotten that Super Bowl ring yet. So I think fans sometimes are saying, well, we've tried the defensive routes for 20 plus years and we haven't gotten over that hump. Maybe it is time to finally go offense. And I think that's kind of just to throw that out there, just as a devil's advocate to that comment. But Kevin at all or JJ on OCs for Steve Wilkes. Um, just to correct you, we actually went after a hot shot offensive name. Uh, didn't last too well, George Seifert. Um, that was back during the 99, 2000, 2001 um, time frame. Now, uh, you know, for those of us falling at the time, put up heck of numbers. You know, Patrick Jeffers was killing it. Um, uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, that was Steve Berline and things like that. So we have had one offensive-minded head coach. Uh, but again, it just failed out, never had a winning record. 
uh, with that here. Uh, another name I would throw out there beside Jim Caldwell would be Pelt Hamilton. I think he would be a great offense coordinator to go along with uh, if Steve Wilkes was to um, uh, was to retain a job. I mean, just looking back at his resume, I mean, he's done uh, NFL. He's been offense coordinator in NFL with the Colts, um, with the Texans. He's done court offense coordinator in college. He's even did the um, uh, what was it, the USF lead with the uh, DC Defenders. He was actually the head coach. Uh, so I think Pelt Hamilton would uh, would be another uh, solid uh, offensive uh, coordinator uh, that you could attach uh, to Wilts. Just a quick clarification: Are I I wasn't? Um, I mean, I was like five years old when the Panthers were oh. playing when they initially started off, and I was actually born like a year before. Was it was is it Seifert or Seifert? Was I'm looking back just off of Wikipedia and I'm seeing D coordinator, no, defensive backs coach. He was, and so I'm a 49ers, you know, legacy guy. You know, I was a 49ers fan doing that run. I'm old enough for that, you know. And Seifert was defense. Bill Walsh was the mastermind to that offense, and you see a big Bill Walsh offensive tree. But George Seifert was defensive coordinator. He started out defensive backs. He became the defensive coordinator for a good time. And then he took over the 49ers from Walsh. Mm -hmm. um, but he was a defensive-minded guy. And, and when he came to Carolina, that was still his calling card, was defense. Um, so, you know, that's a minor correction. He came from a West Coast-led team that had a lot of success, but he was a defensive guy on that team. Um, the correction is he – he did come from a defensive background, but he made the Panthers' offense top ten when he was here. But the defense was bottom ten. So even though that was his background, um, like I said, Panthers. Steve Burlon was the last four thousand yard quarterback we ever had, and that was upon the George Seifert. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he so it was his offense that was what was needed because on the Don Capers it was the complete opposite uh, before him. You know, it was a lot of defense, not a whole lot of offense. So they wanted to get someone here from that 49er tree yeah. with the West coast, things of that nature. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he would have brought that West coast offense with him because that's what potato potato. What's that? <laughs> I said potato potato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, like, I forgot you know, how young you was Curtis. My bad, man. I went yeah. back in the, in the time yeah. machine for you. Cause but I actually I was, was at those I games. Was, I was in, um, <laughs> when, when, when Seifert came to the 49ers, I was, uh, uh, airman basic in the, in the military. So, that shows you how much separation there is between you and I, you know. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I was, I was, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty old cat, man. But in terms of who I believe that Steve Wilkes would have presented today, just because of his local ties and their relationship, and Curtis, I think you mentioned that on one of your tweets either this morning or yesterday. Um, Joe Person had an article that he wrote a few years ago that showed the ties and the closeness between Pep Hamilton and and um, and Steve Wilkes. And with Levy Smith getting fired um, yesterday, I would imagine that Pep Hamilton is available, right? And so Pep Hamilton is somebody I think he could have presented, somebody who would come in with that same um, passion for, for Carolina, passion for Charlotte passion for doing things in the community to, to jump to in real Steve. quick on Hamilton. Cause I don't know much about him. What's that is I just to cut you off real quick. Just one oh. thing about Pep Hamilton. Cause I don't know much mm -hmm. about him. How yeah. much 
um, blame does he have over how poorly the Texans played offensively this year? I, I say zero. Um, and I say that because if you look at what that front office did, you know, for, you know, to that team, um, you know, you went in last year, was it, you know, when you started out with Tyrod Taylor and you, you know, you drafted the third round, I believe Davis Mills was the third round, the fourth rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said, Hey, go out here and, 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 and make the best of it, you know, with this squad. And I think that year was McAdoo was out there camping and, you know, and, and I don't know if Pep was already there or not. Um, but regardless, that team wasn't set up for success. Year two, you move off from Cully, who was a, a good quarterback guru um, out of Baltimore. You lose that continuity. And then you start again with Levy, who was the defense coordinator out there last year. And you made him the head coach. But you still didn't go out and get you a quarterback. Um, you pretty much in the same place that you were last year. And I think, I think Pep Hamilton was limited in what he could do with the pieces that he had. Um, Pep is a guy that I think is very compatible with Steve Wilkes because Steve Wilkes built an identity this year, right? I think if the Texans could do anything early on, it was run effectively with with Pierce. I think they proved that they could run the ball, but when they had to pass the ball, it was hit and miss. And I just don't think they had the personnel. They didn't have the quarterback um, to be able to do the things that Pep wanted to do. And, you know, just to be clear about Pep and what I understand of Pep, I think Pep is known more for being a QB whisperer than he is as an OC play caller, play designer. And so I don't know what he brings to the table in terms of play calling, play designing. Um, but I think he could build on the identity that Steve Wilkes established this year under McAdoo. I don't know if he's creative and all that stuff. Um, so, but I do know that they have ties. So it would be crazy not to, to mention Pep as somebody that could have been presented today as an option. Um, Edgar mentioned, you know, Byron, Byron Left, which is an obvious link, you know, but I don't know that that he would be available. He could be loyal to his current situation and, and Todd Bowles, if they if they keep them down there, I know a lot of people are complaining about him right now um, due to their lack of offensive consistency um, this year compared to years past. Um, but you know, who are they going to blame? The goat or Leftwich, right? You know, so. Um, but we don't know his availability, so I'm gonna skip him, and I'm gonna go to Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn comes from the the Mike Shanahan tree. Um, he's been out there in San Francisco this year where he's seen, you know, Kyle Shanahan's version of um, his daddy's offense. And and I, if I was a guy looking to hire an offensive coordinator who would come and work with me, but I don't have to have a lot of fear of them being hired from me, it would be an Anthony Lynn type guy. Um, Pep Hamilton type guy and I hate to say it you know because if they were any other guy who would come in and you know and and be a good offensive coordinator then we have to worry about them getting hired right but Anthony Lynn I don't think he would attract a lot of head coaching opportunities 
especially in the near term. So I think he's a safe partner for Steve Wilkes. I think Pep Hamilton would be a safe partner for Steve Wilkes um, if, if they make a decision to go with Steve Wilkes. And I really want him to get someone like that because this is my only qualm with defensive coordinators. Um, and I know we're speaking on Wilkes in his, in his presentation. But I fear that whether it's D'Amico Ryans or, you know, um, Steve Wilkes or anybody else who might be a defensive coordinator candidate, even Dan Quinn, your success is going to be tied to that offensive coordinator if he's really good. And if he doesn't train somebody like a, uh, a quarterback's coach or somebody to, to be like a, a passing game coordinator or whatever to take over when he leaves, you're going to be looking for another guy. And look what happened with Dan Quinn after they went to the Super Bowl down here in Atlanta. You know, when Shanahan left, they start going the other direction. And, um, and it happens all too often. And I don't want that for our young quarterback if we draft one. I don't want that inconsistency for the head coach or us as fans. You know, so um, so that's my only qualm with, with most defensive um, candidates. But those guys I mentioned for Steve Wilkes, the reason I bring them up is because I think he can establish his identity, evolve it forward, and I don't think he would have to worry about them being hired from underneath him to be a head coach anytime soon. And I, as bad as that sounds, I just think that's the truth. One, one guy we haven't mentioned much of yet, and I'm curious to get your guys' take on him, is Al Holcomb, current D coordinator for the Panthers. I know that seems like a bit. It's been a Wilkes guy. He was with him in Arizona. He mentioned his. He mentioned Wilkes to Matt Rule. It sounds like from reports earlier in the year to or before the season started to bring him in. And that's kind of how Wilkes got brought into Carolina because Al Holcomb put in a good word. But I'm just curious as your guys' thoughts on him as a D coordinator and if you know Wilkes if he's hired should look elsewhere because I'm. I mean, obviously, been other coaches hired. He's gone, but what are your guys' thoughts on Holcomb this year, Kevin? Um, with me, I'm cool with Holcomb as uh, as defensive coordinator um, here with us. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, like I said, the hand that was dealt as far as you know doing things up under. Um, you know, Phil Snow and then switching over because, uh, you know, Phil Snow was a fan of the of the three three five um defense look. And then when um, Wilkes took over, we went back more to the 40 front um, type of defensive schemes. Um, I'm cool if Wilkes stays, if, if Holcomb um, is the uh, D coordinator. Uh, I think that is uh, resume. And I think that his familiarity with what Wilt's off, what Wilt's philosophy is, um, would uh, would work well. Um, you know, overcame you know losing your top two cornerbacks and you know J.C. Horn um, and, and towards the very end, and um, you know Dante Jackson, you know having a revolving door cornerbacks, uh, inconsistent play at safety, like what. You know, Xavier Woods probably had about four interceptions he dropped. <laughs> you know, um, he had about a hundred. 
<laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of Panther fans were like, man, we don't have a true Mike linebacker. I kind of think that's a little overrated because, you know, with offenses being 80%, you know, 11 personnel, you know, your base nickel defense, even if you got two linebackers, you really don't need, quote unquote, a true Mike per se, unless you run up against a run heavy team where you do have to go with your base 4-3 or 3-4, depending on what you want to run. Um, but uh, uh, Holcomb, I, I'm, I'm cool with him staying um, because of the fact that, you know, he knows what 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 Wilts wants and how Wilts uh, wants it uh, executed. And I don't think that, uh, you know, Wilts has a problem with going over to that side of the ball um, to – um, implement things that in case there need to be tightened up um, there as well. So I'm cool with Holcomb. Are we tired though of, you know, on third and five corners playing 10 yards off the ball? Cause I feel like that's part of the, the old Ron Rivera ways of style of defense. And it's, it's happened. I feel like over the last couple of games, anyone else pick that out or getting tired of that? Cause I sure as hell am. I'm tired of it. Um, I don't know how much of it is due to, you know, the the lack of trust in their corners to play man, uh, to play press, you know, in those situations. Um, I'm not very high on Al Holcomb, right? I look at these opportunities, you know, when you have a coaching vacancy, um, you know, a change of the guard to make everything better. I know loyalty plays a big part in the NFL. You know, that's why Rule and Snow were paired. I know Holcomb was with Wilkes in Arizona in 2018. Um, he's been here as a linebackers coach. And, you know, he was made defensive coordinator in this interim situation. But, you know, like, I know that Steve Wilkes can be a coach. I think he deserved to be a coach before. And I think he's a good head coach now based on all those leadership qualities. But those coordinator positions are all about S and the O's and O's and, and, and being able to do the things that you specialize in, you know, better than your opponent does, right? And I know they didn't get a chance to really show who they were in Arizona. I know their defense was 26 in points allowed, you know, 20th overall in yards, I believe. And and Holcomb, I think there were some games this year where we came with a great game plan for who we were facing. I think the Seattle game was our best performance under that under this regime um, because I expected Seattle to take more advantage of us than they did. And I think our defense stepped up in a major way that game and forced turnovers and applied pressure. Um, but then there were other games, you know, that were head scratchers. Like the biggest – Problem I had with the Tampa Bay game, and the reason I'm still kind of pissed off about it, is why didn't we give those corners more help, you know, over there with Mike Evans? They literally threw the same route three times to beat us. Like, if I'm Al Holcomb, and from what I've seen from Tom Brady this year, right, I'm going to make Tom Brady nickel and dime me down the field to get those sits. Because Tom Brady has been a little errant, more so than in years past. He's still Tom Brady. But I'm going to make him work methodically to get that touchdown. For him to score on those three big quick strikes like he did, 
And to see Mike Evans running by those cornerbacks the way that they did. I know one, I think they came and said that he should have had, though. It was miscommunication. But the two other times. Yeah, I think it was Hartsfield. Hartsfield. I think it was Hartsfield didn't provide help on one of the plays. Uh, Actually, it was Woods. Was Was it Woods? Yeah, because when they went back and uh, when Wilts did the press conference explaining uh, what happened on those three plays, he said two of them were a communication breakdown. Um, That first one was um, it was a cover three call. Uh, But um, who was that? It gated up Taylor. Yeah, Taylor, uh, he actually uh, didn't get the audible to cover three. So that was a miscommunication. Um, He was playing um, cover two man. Um, and that's why there was no – because, you know, if you play cover three, the safety is back in the middle third. That's why yeah. it looked like Evans was all by himself with nobody on top. But now if Taylor had got a call and dropped back to his third, you know, he would have played, you know, much more uh, further depth uh, on that. So uh, that was more so miscommunication on two uh, two out of three uh, touchdowns against Tampa. I mean, I know it's water up on the bridge now, but that's what Wilts and the um, – uh, the Monday presser after watching the film came back and said what happened. Yeah, I mean, and so I know, you know, like I want to just move past that and be like, you know, well, that happens, right? But it happened three times, right, in a in a must-win situation. And to me, that's more egregious than not going for it on fourth and one, you know, to keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hand. Um, and so we were limited. You know, those were second and third string cornerbacks out there. Um, asked to play against an all-pro, pro-bowl-type receiver and the GOAT. But I think because they are what they are, you you keep things simple and you don't let your young cornerbacks get put in position to get toasted three times. Like, they put up monstrous numbers on us. And I didn't see Tom, Tom Brady and Tampa look like that all season besides that game versus us in a must-have situation. And I believe that the letdown came from defensive coaching. That's all I'm saying. And so I think the thing that gets a lot of coaches in in trouble in the NFL is loyalty, you know, to those guys, you know, because of familiarity. And and I think when you have the opportunity to clean the slate, if you're being the guy that's being asked to be the boss, like Edgar mentioned earlier, like Steve Woods is a boss, right? Just because McAdoo helped him win six games doesn't mean that he has to commit to being McAdoo as his offensive coordinator. Just because he has history with Al Holcomb um, doesn't mean that he doesn't have the opportunity to improve that 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 coordinator position if he wants to take this Carolina Panthers team forward. So um, with all that said, I'm not high on Al Holcomb. I would get it if he, you know, if Wilson's is hired and he, and he stays on as defense coordinator but I won't be inspired by the fact that he's still here. Edgar, any comments on Holcomb? I think it's all right. I think everybody said what they said. I will say that, you know, to JJ's point, like it would take, you know, it would take a lot of balls for Steve Wilkes to let go of Al Holcomb, knowing that the story that the reason why Steve Wilkes was, came back to Carolina was because Al Holcomb was like the reason that he got this job. And so not to say that he wouldn't do it or, or whatever, but like, That'd be pure guts on on Steve Wilkes' part to let go of the guy that hooked him up with this opportunity and the position where he is now. Not to say that like that's the reason why he should be kept, but like I don't know. Like if JJ got me a job and I got this job, it's like hey, my, one of my first things, like hey JJ, it was cool. I'm gonna let you go. Like 
it would take a lot, you know. I'm just but saying, no, no. Just he can still be linebackers coach. He can still be. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay, I, I'll go with that. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to put him on the street, you know. But you know, have to score that, you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, I, I, I'll go with that. Well, I wanted to bring up one more point because this has been kind of circulating on Twitter, really mostly today. Um, and this is kind of looking a little too far ahead, but I'm curious to get your guys' take on it now while we have you all here. And that's the draft. Carolina sits with the number ninth pick at this point. Um, I don't know if they're going to stay there. It sounds like Carolina, as you know, Scott Fitter said, he didn't say much in that presser. He was pretty tight-lipped. Um, but... He said, you know, Carolina can start going after those sexy picks. I don't know if he said sexy picks, but he definitely said sexy guys. Said Whatever. Sexy something. Yeah. Sexy something. Sexy draft. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know. That's for up for us up for an interpretation for us, but I'm just kind of curious. Um, I know JJ has been leading the way on this a little bit uh on Twitter, but it, you know, it begs the question you have the Chicago Bears with the number one pick who right now you would think would be set at quarterback, but you never know. Uh, you had, I think, Tannenbaum today, the former GM say, you know, the Bears should go out and trade fields today and, you know, go after the Bry Bryce Young with the number one pick. So I'm just curious your guys' initial thoughts on the draft where Carolina is sitting and any dream scenarios for you where they move up? And let's start with Kevin on this. Um, it's early. Uh, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just really starting to get into my draft content, really. Uh, but for me, as long as we don't sell the entire farm, part of the farm, I have no problems moving up to, let's say, number three to get a uh, C.J. Stroud. Um, he would be the guy I think would work. I think that's smoke and mirrors that old, old trade Justin Field. I, I really think that's just clickbait. To be honest, that's just my personal uh, personal opinion. But I think you would have to go. Uh, we would have to get up there to uh, to uh, be in the position. But I'm also as equally as content as sitting at nine because the last few years when we sat at nine, someone that we didn't think would be there fell right in our laps. And it's worked out for us. Um, I know it's been a lot said about, you know, quarterbacks who should go where. Um, you know, now me personally, dream scenario, you know, I know this dream is probably 1%. I would love if the off-field concerns for Jalen Carter dropped him down to us at nine <laughs> from Georgia. <laughs> you know, now, much as I was hyping I Adonis beside Derrick Brown, Huge upgrade, no apologies whatsoever. Huge upgrade, I, automatic, and uh, get like Anthony Richardson like in the second round. That would be my dream scenario right there. A Carter uh, Richardson um, top two picks, but um, you think Richardson's Carter, gonna go past pick twenty? It it depends on who you value as far as your quarterback experts, because a lot of the guys that that are the draft experts to get it right. They say they see them as a day two pick, but because of the thirst, um, some teams may be willing to take a gamble, but um, 
I, I can't I can't take him at nine though. I can't take him at nine. Um and I can't take Levis at nine. Um so and, and if that position I take a look and see who's best available available at nine. Um once uh, um young and Stroud is gone. Um potentially maybe trade back to pick up a couple extra picks, maybe. Um you know, to stockpile it up, even though between Robbie Anderson trade and McCaffrey trade, we picked up six uh, picks. But, uh, you know, hey, what's up with a few more? Because with a tight salary cap, we need to get as many players um, as inexpensive as possible. Um, but you asked me what my dream scenario is, that would be it. Uh, but realistically, I'm open to trading up to get a Stroud, but um, I'm not going to bang the drum for it either. I'm, I'm just content to seeing who falls to us at nine. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin turning the tide saying trading up for a quarterback. That's a rarity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, they tell me the former rush, man, all right, man, you know, got your top 10 offensive line. Now it's our turn. So, you know, because I've been, <laughs> you know, you know, being the drum that we need to uh, improve the uh, improve the old line. So there's like, all right, now it's time to eat, like they said, them sexy picks. So, you know. Yeah, just looking at the draft order just off the top of my head. Bears, probably not a quarterback. Texans, 100%. Arizona's good. Colts, most definitely. And I don't know if you guys saw the the Colts GM today. He flat out said, if there's a guy there, they're willing to trade up to go and get him at one. So it, it sounds like the Colts are willing to trade the farm to go get their guy if it's the right one. So Colts is probably... And then Seattle's an interesting team. You know, I know they do have Geno Smith, but that I feel like that's a trade-out partner for Carolina with Scott Fitterer and his connection there. Uh, if if Carolina can, uh, you know, get someone or if they like someone after the Colts. Lions, that's another team that's kind of up in the air. I know Jared Goff's playing well, but do they want to draft for the future? Raiders, another wild-card team. Falcons, another one that might take another stab at it. So. I mean, right there, that's one, two, at least three, or I would say three, four teams that probably could go QB ahead of Carolina. So what are your guys' thoughts, JJ? I think it's one of those years where we really just have to, you know, like sit still until the draft because – I know what I was doing today wasn't clickbait, right? You know, like that scenario is something that I've been wishing for going back to the trade deadline earlier this year about Justin Fields, um, even before last season. And and my logic remains true to what Tannenbaum, you know, mentioned today. I was glad that somebody else brought it up. Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus they did not pick Justin Fields, right? And I don't know what – is it Luke Getzey, the OC, for them? So if it's Luke Getzey, I don't know what his ideal offense looks like. I guess he came from the Green Bay system, right? Or was he up there? Yeah, he was a Packer. He was a Packer. I don't know if Justin Fields is the guy that they want running their offense and I know that's crazy because this dude is talented, uh, mad talented, so talented that I've stayed with him, you know, through this process, even though we didn't get him. Um, but I know that 
they are within their rights to, if they interview Bryce Young or interview CJ Stroud and they just fall in love, then why not, right? You know, like why not if they believe that one of those guys can take their team um, further and can be more of a fit within the framework of what they desire to do as an offense, right? So I don't think it's like a foregone conclusion that they won't do it. Probability is probably low, but what if they do get blown away? That's what Ryan Pohl said today. If we get blown away, like the only way we'll draft a QB is if we get blown away. Well, what if they do, right? And so, um, and if they do, now the whole thing is out of whack, you know, in some ways. Um, Houston comes in next. I imagine they would pick Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud and the other one that's available. But like you guys just mentioned, they're like, what, four teams ahead of us right now that could pick a QB, you know, easily. And so I personally don't think number nine is a, is a, is a draft pick I would use on Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, right? I think Richardson, if you had to reach for one of those guys, I think Richardson is the one that you reach for based on his athletic profile and upside. Um, but I wouldn't spend number nine on him either. And so where does that leave you? It's going to leave a lot of fans mad, right? You know, because everybody's wanting that QB this year. I'm not a big trade-up person. I don't believe in trading away future assets for a probability of a, you know, of a young QB who you may not even start in the first year of the draft picks that you gave up to go get him, right? Look at San Francisco and Trey Lance. Um, it's not a guarantee that that person never sees the field. Um, I don't know when Matt Corral is going to be healthy, but I think Matt Corral is a better quarterback than Will Levis and personally. I mean, I don't, I don't care if anybody disagrees or not. I believe Matt Corral is as good, if not better, than – Will Levis and um, Anthony Richardson. He doesn't have the athletic profile of Anthony Richardson, but I think he can be just as good as a QB as those guys. And um, and so I wouldn't spend number nine on either one of them. Um, I might even entertain a situation where if I'm at nine and there's a prospect, you know, like we're not in love with a prospect, um, if somebody wants to go up and just go get a guy for some reason, I might entertain trading back a little bit and then get Richardson or Levis later in the first, um, but picking up some more picks along the way. Um, because I think nine is just a weird spot um, in terms of top talent. And I think there's going to be a lot of guys between 10 and 20 who are going to have similar um, draft grades, you know, in terms of, you know, like who they are, you know, like what you what you can do with them. I think you can look at, you know, guys like Henry from Clemson, um, you know, in that range. You can look at even I know people wouldn't want to do this and I'm biased again, but Michael Mayer as a tight end prospect, he's somewhere in that range. Um, and I could feel good taking the beat the best player available by trading back a few spots if we get to that, because like what Scott Fitterer said today. We finally had a place roster wise where you don't have to like do anything for a need specifically, um, especially if you don't get what you want. So 
you know, play around a little bit, see what you can get, you know, from the draft. You know, if it can move back a couple spots, still get your guy, pick up a draft, pick a two, trade back up and get another guy. I'm I'm I wanna I want this team to go into the draft flexible enough to, you know, to take advantage of opportunities and the board up or down. Um and like what Kevin said, if a guy just happens to fall into your lap, like Justin Fields failed to us at eight, you know, last year, and we didn't pick him. Um, that's a it's potential that that'll happen again. You know, crazy as that sound, all it would take is somebody to truly value um, Will Levis over younger Stroud based on physical traits. And um, if they do that, then guess what? One of those guys is slipped to you. You know, and all you got to do is pull the trigger if they come to you. And uh, so, or, or like what you said, um, wh whoever mentioned, if it falls to Seattle's pick and that guy's there and they don't want to go QB, then you can jump up to them where they are and get the guy where he is there just to make sure you get him. But I don't think you have to give up all of what it takes to jump up to number one um, because I don't see us still as the type of team that can do that sexy of a thing yet. You know, I don't think that we got that kind of roster. Like, look what happened to us when when um, when J.C. Horn went out. Like, I don't trust any cornerback besides J.C. Horn. I think we can use another defensive end, right? I think we could use a tight end. You know, I, I think there are multiple positions that we may or may not draft this year that we might need the first-round pick for next year, right? You know, so – it's just not a it's not a, a easy thing to do. I know a lot of fans want it because they so many fans of ours have waited to this draft class because they wanted Bryce Young and they wanted CJ Stroud and they don't want to imagine life without getting one of those guys, right? You know, so but I'm just not there. I'm just I'm just not that giving, you know, in terms of draft capital. I like draft capital. I don't like giving it away. Future years or whatever, you know. You never know what's gonna happen in a year. And you never know when you're going to need that first round pick, you know. So, thoughts? I don't like yeah, I don't, it's hard to like talk draft. This I, I don't like mock drafts or or drafts talk before free agency and, and trades. Like so many things can happen, right? Um, but I will say, and I'm, I'm trying to sit, pretend we're 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 David Tepper, right? We're sitting in his chair. You went through Teddy Bridgewater. You went through Sam Darnold. You went through Baker Mayfield. Are they really going to go through like this whole process? Like, at some point, like you're 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 gonna, I hate to say it, like you're gonna overpay because you've gone through three years of like mediocrity. And again, it doesn't matter what we think, what we say, or our logic, what we've researched. Ultimately, it's just what what does the this 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 guy this this billionaire owner think, and what does he feel like today? And if I had to picture, like he wants to draft a quarterback. I mean, that's the only thing that he hasn't done yet. I know he drafted Matt Crow last year, but a bona fide first rounder to pair with a you know a, a, an offensive guy, I think is like his 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 wet dream for lack of a better word. Like that's what he wants. He wants a young offensive coordinator with a hot shot quarterback, and then like sit back and like reap the benefits of like I'm the savior of 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 the Carolinas, right? Like I think that's where he's going. Um, a little bit back and forth with JJ on Will Levis. I understand both sides in terms of him being good and him like having issues with him. So I'm not like really pushing him, but I, I just pose the question like at the end of the day, like I think these are the types of guys that the leadership wants because they they're sick and tired of being sick and tired these last three years in in quarterback hell. And so I can talk about how I want. I'm I'm team JJ. I'm always team trade down. I'm always team like collect assets. I'm team like 
multiple shots at the dartboard and like you'll get like it's, you'll hit on something um but i know that like this just the history if you know the history of what's been going on like you could see where this is trending and where they're going uh not to say whether we like it or not but i just feel like i, I get a sense and this is pre-free agency pre-trades maybe they get justin fields maybe they get lamar jackson whatever um but just reading tea leaves with reading between the lines i feel like they're 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 leaving breadcrumbs for us to figure out like this is where they're gonna go whether we like it or not. Yeah, I man, I, I just Will Levis could be everything that everybody on Twitter tells me he is right. You know, I just I just know that when I first picked my top quarterbacks this year, I left him off the list, and so I had all these Twitter dudes coming in and ask me, "Where's Will Levis?" But I don't even know who the dude is, right? But I, haven't, I haven't seen him. So I can't rank him if I never watched him. That's like, well, you know, you can't even give lists if you can't tell me about Will Levis. So I was like, oh, noted. Now I'm going to make time to watch Will Levis play, right? I don't care what's going on. I don't care who they're playing. If they're on TV, I'm going to watch him play. Unfortunately for Will Levis, that was against Tennessee, and that was against Georgia. And that boy looked like trash both times right and i didn't see him do anything in any of those games where it's like okay that's the thing i think that you know people want us to to focus on he threw the ball away you know he turned the ball over multiple times both games um he wasn't accurate with the football he didn't look athletic he didn't run with the football you know so i'm like when is all this going to come out so people told me you know he lost his offense coordinator they don't have a lot of talent around him you know, so on and so forth. But y'all know how it is in college, especially against the Tennessee team. I can see it against the Georgia team because they're so fast and physical. But I saw Spencer Rattler cut Tennessee up, right? And so you're trying to tell me that Will Levis couldn't look like a guy for part of that game against Tennessee? And so, and I think I was already going in with a little bit of, you know, angst because the way people came at me, you know, but, I just had I didn't see the guy look good enough to warrant all the angst that, you know, that came towards me that day. And I'm like, and I, I don't have anything against the guy. I just didn't see anything from the guy, you know, in, in the time that I saw him. And uh, But if he if they pick him, like y'all said before, we have no control over what they do. I'm going to support him like I supported Sam Donald, like I supported Teddy. And even though I like Teddy more than I like the other mother cats. Um, you know, but I'm going to get behind him. I just don't see a reason to pick him that high. I think he's like a second-round type dude that we're making into a first-round quarterback because he sits with three, 225 and had a great, you know, um, throwing session tape, you know, that went around the internet and everybody fell in love with his, with his release, you know, but he got bad mechanics. You know, he's inconsistent with his accuracy. Um, you know, he has some flash plays, but every college quarterback has flash plays. You know, he's just the guy this year that they want to say, you know, it's the trait guy, you know. And, and so if, if David Tepper wants him, and I believe there is some smoke to that, um, I believe at nine, if he's there and the other guys are going, I think that's I think he's I think he's going to pick him. And I think that's why he's so focused on these offensive guys, because he knows that he needs a guy that can coach him if he picks him. And so. um so it wouldn't surprise me. I kind of attract the things that I don't want, and so I will say he's not my he's not my guy. So I don't want to defend him. I will say twenty twenty one looks better than twenty twenty two. But he, like 
biased Bryce Young is my guy. He's from LA. Like he's the he's the real thing. Everybody else is like I'm trying to justify them being great because I think there is smoke to that, JJ. Yeah, I think it's smoke to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are hesitant to trade up, and I'm all for it. Uh, I think this is the year to do it. Whether it's Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, you find a way to go and get him. I think this Curtis, team is. Hold on, I think this you, team. What would you hold give on. Up for it? What would you give up? Hold on. I think this team is a quarterback away from competing in the playoffs when everyone is healthy. And it is the year to do it. Um, I think uh, the Christian McCaffrey trade, they had this in mind down the road that they were going to need capital to go up and move. I think they probably thought they were going to be in a better spot in the draft and didn't think Wilkes would have done this good of a job. But they do have the capital now to move up, and I think this is the year they're going to do it. I was told from someone, and I and I tweeted this out a couple months ago, and Dan Morgan told me before a game, they're going to find a way to get one of these guys. So take that for what you will. I think they're going to go and do it. If they fall and they get lucky like they did with Icky and someone falls to them at nine, we would love that. I just don't see that happening. I think there's way too many teams. I think Texans and Colts at this point are locks for QBs. So you either jump the Colts at three or you jump the Texans and Colts and go to one. So I think this is the year they're going to do it. And I hope it is because I am tired of being in QB purgatory and I am tired of the retreads. What were you gonna say, JJ? <laughs> I want I want to know, and maybe Kevin will want to know too. What would you give up? Like draft picks, not players. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, but what if they asked for three first? Right? We we saw it took three first for San I don't Francisco. think Arizona did it take three to go up to three? Yeah, it took three to go up to number three. Yeah, they went from um San Francisco went from twelve to three, with uh, with three first round picks. Um, but if that's what they're asking for, I'll 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 stay put. Um, I don't know Curtis. if it's going to take three, Curtis. I don't think it's going to take three because Carolina has two first or two second rounders this year. So you could, what you could do is do two firsts, two seconds this year. And let's say a third next year, maybe, or a fourth, depending on I I could I could see them work because what nine and twelve, that's what three picks behind. I I I think they can maybe get to Arizona with two. But we shall see. <laughs> but oh, I would man. be willing to go, I would be willing to go two firsts two seconds and probably a third to move up and you'd probably get CJ Stroud, I would guess. But again, you, you, I mean, you would have, you would have to guarantee Chicago isn't going to trade out of that. And a team is going to jump you there unless Carolina really loves Will Levis, but I don't think that's worth it. I mean, that's insanity, but like for Stroud or young, I think, I think I'd be willing to give that up. I would, I would want to trade up, you know, like, I don't know what or who will trade with Chicago, but say if they did. And they, they took Bryce Young, whoever that team is, took Bryce Young. Then that leaves 
Houston at number two, right? They're not going to trade out of that position. No, they're taking QB. So they're going to take Stroud. So I think, I think it's case closed. So you have to go up to one. And I don't think the Carolina not necessarily Panthers, if if Chicago doesn't move out of one. Oh, if, if they have, don't, yeah, if they don't move out of Chicago, one, might they, be set on you know Will at one. You know yeah, what I mean? Like they might go defense and say, no, we're not trading this pick. But I mean, they, they do have, I mean, they would be stupid not to entertain it. Because they can build so much with that team, you know, with what they can get for number one, if they committed to Justin Fields. Um, and I think the Colts are the team that would do it. That would trade up to one. Like they're uh, Ballard said today, like, if they find that franchise guy, which I'm sure they're probably gonna, they're going to move up and they will do whatever it takes. He basically that's what he said. So Yeah. I who you think I mean, so the Colts move up. You think they're taking Stroud? I know Stroud is in their backyard, Levis is is in their backyard. I don't think they'll take Bryce Young. They would be pretty damn stupid not to. <laughs> yeah, I think they would, but I, I think they would move up to get, get I think they'd go I think they'd move up to get Stroud. You know, they're close to him. He's right there in their backyard in, in Kentucky. Um, you know, not in Kentucky, but uh in Indiana, Indianapolis, you know, but you know, he's a state over. Same thing with with Levis. I think they seen a lot of these guys, but I don't think they'll I don't think they'll trade up for Levis. I think if they trade up, it'd be for Stroud. Um but I don't know, you know, like it's, it's hard to know. Yeah. It's so early. It's just yeah, it's so it's fun to talk about. Yeah. It's so early. I, I think if they stayed put, I think Levis would be that guy. I, I don't know. He's just got coats written all over, him, you know? And so, um, but I think it also depends on who they hire to be their coach. We, we still don't know who that is. Um, I'm sure they'll have input on who they draft. Um, so yeah, I, I, Spot, man. I mean, being at number nine puts us too far back to to you know to where we would have to give up a lot to get up to one. And although I'm with you, like I totally I want this whole purgatory situation to be over because I want to go into the year where as a fan, I'm not debating who the quarterback is every single day on Twitter. Like it's just I just want our guy. Um, but I don't know if I want to pay the cost to get that guy, right? Um, and I know it ain't popular to tweet, it ain't popular to talk about, but if I got to wait, you know, to next year, you know, to, and I hope that we're in a better position next year, but what if we're not, you know, like, I just don't know if, I, if, it, if we can't get to Stroud, if we can't get to Young, I, I want to stay, I want to stay put, you know, it's not another guy in this draft that's worth moving for. Um, and I don't necessarily want a, a, a project. I don't think you'd be able to play Will Levis or Anthony Richardson this year. I don't think they'll be, I don't think either one, I don't think either guy would be ready this year. Levis has a greater possibility because I understand he's running pro offense. Um, so I guess there is potential with him. But number nine, man, is is steep. Kevin, I don't know what you said, but did you say that you would draft him at nine? Um, no, nah, I was like, if uh, if I can't get younger or or Stroud, um, 
you to jump up to go get him. Um, but uh, at number nine, no, I can't take uh, Levis or Richardson at nine. Yeah, I'm. I'm, um, I'm, I'm at. The, I'm in the same place. I just. I can't. I can't envision it. Um, there is a place in the first round where I think you. Sh- you know, you can get them and feel good, like later in the first, but not in the top ten. I don't think they're top ten talents. Either one of them. Um, yeah. For me, until the combine and the pro days, it's kind of hard to, to get a judge because some it's going to be some unknown players pop up that we're not even discussing. That's going to shoot up the draft board and be everybody's new darling and, you know, come out of nowhere. Like, uh, what's his name? The dude end up going to one overall, the, the defensive lineman out of uh, oh, Georgia. Yeah. 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 He just came from out of out of nowhere. So for me, um, I can't seriously start thinking about what the positioning is until like after the combine and the draft days and uh, pro days in March. Me yeah, personally. Right. You guys, because- you guys see a scenario where they go back to the retread route. Yeah. Who? Yeah. The hand would have to be forced. Um, for my, because like I said, I think that they're sick. Um, when you listen to Federer's press conference, he said the head coach will have a lot to say as far as what the quarterback room next year will look like. So I, I think that, um, you know, before we even decide what type of quarterback of these four that we're mentioning fit, uh, a lot would depend on, um, you know, who's there. If it's Wilkes, you know, what's his, what's his type? Like I mentioned earlier, when he was in Arizona, he wanted to draft Josh Allen. They drafted Josh Rosen. And we see how that, you know, you know how that turned out. So is the Josh Allen type what catches Wilkes' eye? Um, who knows? You know what I'm saying? So. What? I think I think and you know like, Will Levis. I got to talk to him. I got to ask him a question. And you know, Will said, if I had to compare myself to anyone, it'd be Josh Allen. So. I, I, I saw that. You know, <laughs> I I think I think it would depend. Like, let's say they swung for the fences and went for a guy like Ben Johnson, right? Um, because you know, like Ben Johnson leaving is like like one of the craziest wild card scenarios that nobody's talking about for the for Detroit. Because to me, almost all of they, they had a, a horrible defense this year, for the most part. Almost all of their success is attributed to the offense, right? If they lose their OC, I think they're at the point in Goff's contract where they could easily move on from him, right? And kind of start over. Maybe they draft the quarterback this year, right? If they do that, um, and Ben Johnson is picked up within the next month you know, by, by a new team, say it's the Panthers, right? Say it's the Panthers. Say you you talked to Dave Tepper. He told you, you know, you know what you think about the guy across, you know, on the other sideline. That was Ben Johnson. If they if say they love Ben Johnson and they hire him and we end up picking a you know a quarterback at whatever draft pick. But Jared Goff is suddenly available. Ben Johnson might go out and get Jared Goff to run this team for a year. Who better to run it than Jared Goff, right? I'm not saying that that's something that I want to do. I'm just saying that that's a scenario that could possibly happen. Um, you know, same thing with with Steichen. You know, like there might be some guy that that he believes can run his offense day one um, while we wait on the rookie. You know, so I don't think it would be a retread, you know, like with the sake of, saving our franchise, but I think there are certain guys out there who, if this team feels they can't play a rookie right away, 
that they'll take a shot at like a Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and I'm not saying I want Jimmy, but same thing with Sam Donald. There's going to be a, a group of guys that are bridge type guys that you can say, well, I'm going to bring them in for a year and just see what happens. You know, who's another wild card in this situation. And, I, and I'm getting mixed messages out of Arizona. Um, Kyler Murray is hundred percent Arizona Cardinal because of Cliff Kingsbury. Right. And now they're saying they're going to let Kyler participate in the coaching hire. I don't <laughs> believe that, you know, like I, that's, that's cool to say, but I'm not, so the video game clause, they, they're giving the guy the keys of the car with the video game clause. Yeah. I mean, that just don't make any sense. Right. You know, so I think I think he can be moved, you know, by now, now with that new contract. He just got now. Nah, it's too big. It's, it's too way, big. Way too big. Nah, it's definitely, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he might have too much dead cap or something to move early on. Oh, uh, um, yeah, definitely. Since that money, he hasn't even got to that extension money yet because he's still off his – he's taking okay. off his rookie contract. That's that's the only reason because I don't know if any other new coach would come in and say, I want to marry myself to Kyler Murray right now. Um, but, man, there's so much that can happen, man. Like, I just don't want us to be close to, to opportunities that may not exist in the draft because I only believe that it's two no-brainers in this draft. If we can make a move to go get them, great. You know, I, I won't second guess what it took to go get them because we'll have the guy and we just suffer the consequences of not having picks later on. But I don't want us to force ourselves into a position where we just draft Levis or draft Richardson because we feel like we got to um, get a quarterback in the draft this year um, because I just don't see them as guys that you got to go and get. Um, so, you know, if the, if you can't get Strouder or Young, and a veteran QB like Derek Carr or somebody like that is looking for a new home for a year. I mean, I don't love Derek Carr, but I mean, I ain't going to act crazy like he can't throw a football. Yeah. You know what and I mean? And it's also this weird assumption that quarterbacks only want to come out here for a year. Like, quarterbacks look for stability and money as well. And until we can um, open up our salary cap, it's kind of hard for me to even think about, you know, bringing in an outside you know, veteran quarterback because, no, you know, come here for a year and our money's tight. Like, it's no secret, you know, saying where things currently at. Now, I know Fitter said that there are options they can use to open up the salary cap. But until I see that salary cap north of 20 million, as of right now, and I know we resigned a few uh, players today. Um, I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to restructure or cut even possibly. Yeah, they was talking about changing over him and um, Moten's um, uh, base pay into um, to um, signing bonuses. They uh, the can was, like New Orleans did. You know, actually, actually, when you do that, convert the bonuses. That's not put. That's that's not um, restructuring it, uh, pushing it down the can. Because when you turn it into um, a signing bonus, uh, they get that money up front. That's just more guaranteed money up front that they're getting it's not pushed down the road when you convert it now when you take and just push it to the back and void years then that's when you're looking at uh that's when you're looking at the uh the restructuring which i'm definitely not a fan of unless it's a you know we're in position to make a um a super bowl run but um 
Yeah, nobody's sure. been out here for one year, $5 million. Oh, I'm sure you've seen the <laughs> Nikki Bozeman uh, recruitment tweets of Lamar Jackson today. I don't know if you guys saw I that. did. I did. I appreciate she, that, too. I appreciate that efforts, man. She's a sweetheart. She, uh, she, uh, me and her have been ch uh, chatting uh, up on Twitter and inbox uh, ever since I had the um, interview with uh, with Bozeman and um, Mike, uh, Mike Wall. But uh, she's actually going to give birth to their first child. So yeah. uh, I think any day now was today. The, she said, she, "Yeah, I think today. I think today was the due date. I know they had their uh, charity today, but uh, yeah, she's about to drop that uh, that little one um, anytime now. So definitely wish them well." Yeah, I think she mentioned that. I think she mentioned your nephews on the way Monday or being delivered Monday or something yeah. like that. So it's scheduled. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, your nephew, like, that's great. You know, come and see your nephew, Lamar, come and live with by him, you know, babysit, you know, whatever. You know, but that's why I say I want us to keep our minds open to all possibilities. I know that we want to draft a quarterback. I think it's time to draft a quarterback. Man, it's so bad that back in South Carolina, you know, I went home for the, uh, for the 49ers game back in October, and I stopped, you know, at home and my uncle, a football OG. He's a Steelers fan. But he was like, oh, you're going up there to the 49ers game. I was like, yeah. You know, they're playing up there. He's like, he said, you know, they're not going to beat the 49ers today, right? And I was like, yeah, I, I figured that, you know, but I'm going anyway. Um, and he was like, Jay, he said, what y'all need to do is just suck for the rest of the year so y'all can get your quarterback. He was like, he said, I'm not a Panthers fan, but I want to see them get that right because they haven't gotten it right. And I was like, I know. And, you know, it was, I needed to hear that because I'm always fighting for right now. But that's when I finally came and conceded, especially after that game. It was like, yeah, let's do whatever it takes. We're one and four. Like, let's get our quarterback, man, because I'm tired of sucking. And, um, and so, you know, like, I'm on board with it. I just, I'm like, even when they was talking about trading for Deshaun and stuff in the, in the past, Matt Stafford even, I'm just not a person who's signing up for giving up three first round picks or anything crazy. Um, but if they decide to go that route, if if Tepper's ready to make that swing, then so be it. You know, just get it over with. I just don't know if it's going to fit us the way that they think it will. But you won't be talking about the quarterback position anymore. You know, hopefully, you know they're still rookies, they're still improving. Um, but hopefully, they get it right. If they if they take that swing, you that's the problem. You got to get it right. If you if you if you take a swing like that, it can't be Sam Bradford, right? <laughs> you know, it can't be Carson Wentz. At the end of the day, Carson Wentz was right early on, but they only got what two two three seasons out there, and so uh, it just needs to be right if they get it. You know, if they do it, so yeah, it needs to be right at the QB position. It needs to be right at the head coach position as well. Well, we're gonna leave it there. We want to thank you guys for coming on. Both JJ and Kevin, make sure you guys go check out Four Man Rush. They do good stuff over there. Kevin and JJ, thank you guys for coming on tonight. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Panthers on Tap podcast. You can catch all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and rate us. Also, give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always, 